All right, welcome. This is Orion Rising. I am your host, Leonard O'Neill. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good morrow, depending on where in the world you are tuning into the show. Okay, we're live on Facebook, and I'm in YouTube jail once again. There I am, for those of you who have the MP4 podcast to watch. You see my face, namaste. So please share this out, share this out, share this out. It's Friday night, and uh, YouTube, a visual there for YouTube. I gave them the American bird for those of you listening on the MP3 file podcast. So, yeah, YouTube is systematically trying to delete me. They keep going back in time and finding something that I said a year or two ago um, that was, you know, that has become, um, you know, uh, against the PC rules uh, since this whole fake pandemic thing started, uh, which is over now. Uh, by the way, just so you guys know, a doc- doctors, many in San Francisco, California, have now downgraded the uh, all, all the viruses, omni omni cold and and um, and a delta cold, uh, down to a cold virus. So it is now an endemic, no longer a pandemic. So because now they can't pass, they can't get anybody to believe <laughs> that it is still a pandemic. So they're they're going okay, it's a it's an endemic. You're right. <laughs> right. So now it's just a common cold or flu bug. Just so you guys know, that was announced today. Um, <clears throat> so I'm being deleted for saying that. <laughs> Only I said it a year ago and two years ago. And I was I was called a quack and a nutball and and disinformation. And guess what? <laughs> guess what? They've downgraded. There's my brother. Welcome, Jeff. <clears throat> so he's the one that told me that. He's the one that just uh, sent me the link earlier today that said doctors out here in California have said, nope, it's no longer a pandemic. It's just a uh, endemic. Right. And that's it. That's in the stronghold. Right. California, the stronghold of the crazy people trying to take over the planet. OK, so that's my politics uh, for, for my Friday night, which I don't really don't do. But I just want to tell you that you know YouTube is is finding a reason to delete me so uh, so soon my account will be deleted off of YouTube because it looks like they're just putting me through the motions uh, because they busted me uh, in December, put me on restriction for two weeks. And then I got off and without posting anything on uh, Facebook or on YouTube, they put me back in jail for another uh, thing that I had uh, done wrong, which was also a year ago. So that's what they're doing. They're going through and they're, and they're going to get rid of me. I'm pretty sure, but I'm on other platforms so they can have their YouTube and all you guys would be smart to do what all of us guys are doing. And, leave YouTube and go to these other platforms. Uh, and anybody that does this to people, everybody should leave and go to other platforms, hit them in their pocketbook. They'll change their freaking attitude real quick. Right. But all that's going to change when, uh, when the house and the Senate of the United States, uh, is, uh, righted, the ship is righted, uh, in, uh, um, October of this year, uh, and they're going to lose all their power. They know that. So they're trying to seize as much as they can now. Um, Denise, welcome. Allison, welcome. Jeff, welcome. Reese, welcome. If you're out there in the crowd, say hello, or I don't know you're out there. Uh, and now I'm just on uh, Facebook, so please share this out on Facebook because we just lost the YouTube crowd because they won't let me post there. I don't know if it's permanent, but it looks like they're putting me through the motions. Okay, so in other news, and then we'll get on to the Roswell alien interview. On other news, Meatloaf and comedian Louis Anderson both passed away today. God rest their souls. They're going to be missed. Right. Meatloaf was uh, it wasn't his real name. I forget his real name was Michael Duncan something, I think. Don't quote me. Um, But they called him Meatloaf. And anybody who knows anything about that rock band, um, they were badass in the 70s and they still are today. 
right? And Louis Anderson was a great, great comedian. Uh, he made it cool for fat people to become to be comedians, and it was okay. Uh, before that, everybody had to be a GQ and skinny and on cocaine. Right? <laughs> uh, John Belushi was trying it, but he was on cocaine. Uh, he so he was I think he was the the pioneer of fat guys could be funny, and then his brother uh, was fat and got skinny, and he's and now he's growing pot. I watch his show, by the way. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, we finished off right at the end of the chapter. Let me pull this up here and then we'll stop it because I know it's going to play on its own because it does. All right, we'll stop that. And uh, let me get that banner off the screen. For those of you who have the uh, MP4 um, version up, you can see that I have the please share at the bottom of the screen scrolling. I'm going to take that off. Okay. So we're at the end of chapter 13. We're going to chapter 14. Um, so I, I uh, stopped it right here because that's where we stopped last week because it was a good stopping point. So I'm going to go ahead and start now instead of wasting too much time. I've already wasted six minutes. And I usually waste about 10 trying to help the crowd get, um, you know, built up. But like I said, I'm, I'm only on Facebook today, so I'm, I'm at your guys' mercy. You people who are fans who tune in to please share this out because I only have it live there. It will be live on the rest of the planet later tonight when I put it on the MP3 file. Uh, to be shot out to the world, uh, but I didn't have time to hook that up to where I'm broadcasting live there uh, while I'm broadcasting live here, which is what I'll probably start doing. Um, I'm going to look into that because I do have a Spreaker account, and I and I, I think in there I can I can take phone calls. So I'm going to take a look at that, and I might reactivate that and go live there and here. Uh, and uh, you know what I mean? Uh, that might be kind of cool. And then if I have to, I'll stop with the videos, and I'll just go uh, like MP3 style here. Uh, but it's kind of that way anyway. You just get to see the words, right? It's not like I'm doing like what we do on Skull Island or when I'm interviewing somebody on this show to where, you know, you have to see my face and their face while, while we're, uh, oh, you don't have to, but it's always fun, right? So, Tony, welcome. Thank you for saying hi. Um, okay, so let me just go ahead and, and uh, hop right into it. We're starting at the beginning of a chapter, right? If you haven't heard anything about this and you're here for the first time or you find this podcast for the first time, uh, this is about this is in the description, but it's about the the supposed non-incident that supposedly didn't happen in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Uh, the government of the United States to this day still claims that this didn't happen. However, these are the words of the nurse who became the translator uh, because she could telepathically communicate with this alien female alien captain of the downed uh, spacecraft that didn't happen quote unquote air air quotes uh, with my fingers for those of you who can't see me which no one can right now because my camera's off <laughs> right uh and she kept uh, uh secretly uh kept this information and uh and stole some of it and held on to it uh, without the government's knowledge uh from back then and when she was about to die which i believe was somewhere between 20 12 and 2015 she was um, uh, going to die and so she was um, she did you know, euthanasia to go ahead and, and end her life because she was in stage cancer and it was just painful so before she did that she um, realized that this information needed to get out to the world so she leaked this information out to the world and i have a copy of the video that was put together from all of her um written pages and typed pages where um, somebody is reading it. I, I th first, I thought it was a computer program, but we heard him giggle and laugh and sigh a couple of times. So it's not uh, because we don't have an algorithm that, that's that good that could imitate humans to that uh, degree. So uh, a gentleman, I'm not sure who, read this, all this stuff uh, and put it to audio for us. 
Um, I have a computer that does that. You guys have heard that before when I do the law of one and other things where I change the voice to a different, you know, to a female voice or whatever. This is a male voice though. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and get right into uh, this. And uh, what we're doing is we're critiquing, I am at least critiquing uh, the alien. I don't, I don't doubt that this is an alien. I believe it is real. I believe it is a real alien. And I believe uh, because of some of the things that she said and some of the things she's trying to, to put through, um, I understand and I, and I have uh, good knowledge that this is a real person. It's not, you know, it's not the CIA in the next room pranking the CIA in the other room, right? Um, this is, you know, it's not the FBI or some secret service vault beneath the secret service vault that they're supposed to be in while they're interrogating this person, or they just made it up and made it up like a, you know, let's, let's pretend that we had a, a UFO and it wasn't really a UFO. And we were just, uh, you know, we we're just messing with Bob's head, right. For fun as a practical joke. You just don't do stuff like that. So it's not the government playing with the government itself. Cause this was done under government supervision, CIA and, and military intelligence. Right. And so, okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get into this and start chapter 14. And the audio will start in a minute. It's just kind of slow on the uptake because it's in the intermission for people to switch to the next chapter. Roswell Alien Interview, Chapter 14. Errol reviews the interview transcripts. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, personal note. Shortly after I finished recounting the previous interview with Errol to the stenographer, I was summoned urgently to the office of the commanding officer of the base. I was escorted by four heavily armed military policemen. When I arrived, I was asked to be seated in a very large makeshift office that had been arranged with a conference table and chairs. In the office were several dignitaries I had seen at various times in the gallery. I recognized a few of them because they were famous men. I was introduced to these men, which included Army Air Force Secretary Symington, General Nathan Twining, General Jimmy Doolittle, General Vandenberg, and General Northstadt. To my surprise, Charles Lindbergh was also in the office. Secretary... I have heard of almost every one of those men that she just mentioned, right? I mean, you guys, I'm sure know Lindbergh, right? Everybody knows Lindbergh's name, right? But um, James Doolittle, uh, yeah, I've 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 actually seen pictures of him, uh, and I know some of these people from other projects, not personally, obviously, but from uh, you know other other black ops things that I've investigated in that time period that had to do with, uh, you know, the majestic 12 and UFOs and things like that. And these guys are at the forefront of um, either in majestic 12 or behind it or above it. And I, I do know that much. If you watch the documentary above majestic, you, you hear about these guys' names. Just so you know. Terry Semington explained to me that Mr. Lindbergh was there as a consultant to the chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force. There were several other men present in the room who were not introduced. I assume these men were personal aides to the officers or agents of some intelligence service. All of this sudden attention, not only from the secretary and generals, but from world-famous people as Mr. Lindbergh and Mr. Doolittle, made me realize how critically important my role as an interpreter for Errol was, as seen through the eyes of others. 
Until this time, I was not really aware of this except in a peripheral sense. I suppose this was because I was so absorbed in details of the extraordinary situation. Suddenly, I began to grasp the magnitude of my role. I think that the presence of these men in that meeting was intended, in part, to impress me with this fact. The secretary instructed me not to be nervous. He said that I was not in any trouble. He asked me if I thought the alien would be willing to answer a list of questions they had prepared. He <laughs> usually, usually when they say that, you are in trouble. <laughs> Welcome, Peter. <laughs> right? Usually when they say, don't worry, you're not in any trouble, <laughs> right? especially on a high level like that, then you kind of are. That means that they're, I would say at this point, they're suspecting that she's a withholding. And they're also getting annoyed, rightly so, because I would be. I get annoyed, and I am annoyed even to this day, that she wouldn't answer any questions. It was all her narrative, whatever she wanted to give up only, right? So I get their plight, and I'm sure that's where we're going right here, is they're going down the road of, we need to have her answer some fucking tough questions here. She's telling us some fascinating, crazy good stuff, but she's also telling us some fascinating, crazy bad stuff, which I think she's, you know, that she's, you know, fabricating. You see my point? So there, so yeah, so at this point, I can understand why they have these men in the room and why they're starting to say, listen, we need to have her answer some questions. And Arrow will not. She'll refuse. Watch. She doesn't want to have any part of an interrogation at all. And that pisses them off. All right, here we go. Blaine that they were very eager to discover many more details about Errol, the flying disc, the domain, and many other subjects that Errol had disclosed in the interview transcripts. Of course, they were... See, of course, the, the first thing in their mind is military strength, right? Where are they? How many are they? What, how much, what is their capabilities? How many ships do they have? How, how much more advanced are they than we are? What can we get from them? Right. Those are always the priorities of the deep state. They don't care about anything else because you have to remember the deep state. Most of the people that are in the deep state don't even believe that there is a God. Right. So they have no religious aspect, no spiritual aspect for even wanting to even discuss anything with any aliens. They don't care. They don't want to hear about that. It's nonsense to them. They need, uh, you know, stone cold facts. They need hard, hard um, uh, technology that they can have and trade and use and exploit. Right. I mean, let's be serious. They're, that's what they do. They're in service to self. And people who are in service to self want power and they want money and they want control. That's all because they, they can't have anything else because they have no love because they have no spirituality. So they're all about greed and money and power. We're mainly interested in questions relating to the military security and the construction of the flying disc. I told them that I was very sure that Errol had not changed her mind about answering questions, as nothing had changed that would cause her to trust the intentions of the men in the gallery. I repeated that Errol had communicated everything that she was willing and at liberty to discuss already. In spite of this, they insisted that I would ask Errol again if she would answer questions, and the answer was still no. I was to ask her if she would be willing to read the written copies of the transcripts of my interview translations. They wanted to know if Errol would verify that my understanding and translation of our interviews was correct. Since Errol could not read English very fluently, the secretary asked if they could be allowed to observe for themselves while Errol read the transcripts and verify that they were correct in writing. They wanted her to write a copy of the transcripts, whether the translation were correct or not, and make a note of anything that was not accurate in the transcripts. 
Of course, I had no choice but to obey orders, and I did exactly what the secretary requested. I was given a copy of the transcripts with a signature page, which I was to show to Errol. After Errol completed her review, I was also directed to request that Errol sign the cover page, attesting that all the translations in the... I'm sorry, I'm pausing for a second because of what Peter is saying here in the, in the audience. <clears throat> I'm going to put it up on the screen and read it to you because this is pertinent not to the alien, but to what's going on in the world right now. But Ireland has good news uh, from tomorrow, Saturday, lockdowns in Ireland. Uh, the, the real open in the country and they are not locking it down again pandemic has gone away just said i thought i'd let you know that um peter you missed the beginning of the hour where i announced uh that uh, my brother who came in to say hi had sent me information that here in california in the city of san francisco that um the doctors there the head doctors in in that in that city have downgraded the uh pandemic to an endemic so it's also being um going away here uh, and they have to do this because they know they've lost right at least America. They've lost America. They're not going to take it over. Um, they're, you know, they're losing everywhere else. Um, the, now they're starting to be exposed for the things that they are doing, right? And those of you who got that video that I sent to you uh, in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours, you understand what I'm saying, right? And I have sent videos out to some of you that, um, that uh, I don't have permission to forward, but those only went to coalition members. And the other videos went out to you guys that are just you know, friends of mine and I'm in your groups. Those videos are videos that can go out. So those of you who got videos that you know who you are that I sent to you in the last 24 hours, um, those are ones that only go out to uh, select people only because we need to still control uh, the flow of that information. If we get it out too quickly, they'll delete it off the Internet and we won't be able to get it out to people. Um, so those of you who I don't send stuff to, I apologize for that, but we have to go through certain channels to stay off the uh, algorithms for, uh, for a certain time uh, until we can get enough of the population to actually have, uh, see the video. Uh, because once we do that, they can't then step in and take total control of the video and it'll stay out there in the world. I know it sounds weird to you guys. But <laughs> it sounds weird to you guys who are non-coalition members, but we understand how the matrix works. And um, we've set up all of these coalitions you know, to to make sure that we don't get caught and take down. The last time they went after like Anonymous, they almost decimated Anonymous off the face of the earth and they had to go deep dark. Right. And they were already deep dark. OK, so those of us who uh, come from old school before even the Anons, um, we we are the reason that you guys are still getting information, right? And that's one of the reasons why I'm sure I'm being deleted off of YouTube because they're trying to control me now and limit my control of, of the who I can reach, right? Not like I'm reaching like 10 billion people, <laughs> but they're trying everything they can do. And guys like me have been telling the truth since the beginning and they called us crazy. Okay, so Peter, that's good news for those of you around the world. That's good news because... Um, they're pretty much making the pandemic over in America, and they need they need COVID to go away before the elections coming up in October, because they know that the Democrats are start or the Republicans are running on it like the Democrats did on the first time, and they know they'll win on it because they won the presidency, the House, and the Senate on uh, running COVID and pointing out how bad the orange guy was handling COVID. Well, the sleepy cup guy, he's handling it even worse. There's already been more people died under his watch in, in one year than there was in uh, three years under the orange guy's watch. That's not a joke. 
at all, <laughs> right? And that's because of their counts. I'm not going to get involved in that right now, but those of you who got my videos, you understand what I'm saying and why I'm saying it, okay? But know this, they're being exposed, and this thing is over. It has been over since the beginning, but there's, there's other stuff we still need to work on uh, going forward. Okay, let's continue more with this interview here. Transcripts were correct as amended by her. About an hour later, I entered the interview room as instructed with copies of the transcripts and signature page to deliver to Errol as the members of the gallery, including the generals and Mr. Lindbergh also, I presume, and others watched through the glass. Oh, oh, and I forgot to say, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, Peter, you probably know this because you're in the UK. Boris Yeltsin uh, of Yeltsin, or Yel is it Johnson, My, I'm saying Yeltsin, that's Russian. <laughs> Boris Johnson um, authorized the same thing. He ended the um, the uh, downsized the, the pandemic to an endemic and uh, allow and stopped the lockdowns. Uh, so he announced it. Uh, when was that? Two days ago. Right. It was supposed to take you uh, take effect like Monday, I think, uh, or today as well. So the UK, the rest of the UK looks like they're following in suit. Right. So Ireland's following in suit. So that's a good that means that that portion of Europe, even though Australia's voted to lock everybody down and arrest them and put them in concentration camps if they don't have the shot. Um, those people will be fleeing for their lives now, if not starting a revolution. I hope they don't, but I hope they uh, have a peaceful one if they do. Um, I don't abdicate any violence for those of you who are over in Austria or have people that are living, living there or know people that are living there. Uh, pray for them. And I pray for you people in Austria, uh, resist them. But, you know, I'm not abdicating open warfare because that means bloodshed is, is bad. A lot of people die. We don't need that. Reach out for help. Run for your lives. Overthrow your politicians. Do whatever you need to do, except for don't start killing each other. We don't need that. Right. We don't need that. OK. Of the gallery room. I went to my usual seat, sitting four or five feet across from Errol. I presented the envelope of transcripts to Errol and passed on the instructions I had received from the secretary telepathically. Errol looked at me and looked at the envelope without accepting it. Errol said, if you have read them and they are accurate in your own estimation, there is no need for me to review them also. The translations are correct. You can tell your commander that you have faithfully conveyed a record of our communication. I assured Errol that I had read them, and they were exact recordings of everything I told the transcription typist. Will you sign the page then, I asked. No, I will not, said Errol. May I ask you why not, I said. I was a little confused as to why she wasn't willing to do such a simple thing. If your commander does not trust his own staff to make an honest and accurate report to him, what confidence will my signature on the page give him? Why will he trust an ink mark on a page made by an officer of the domain if he does not trust his own loyal staff? I didn't quite know what to say to that. I couldn't argue with Arl's logic, and I couldn't force her to sign the document either. I sat in my chair for a minute, wondering what to do next. I thanked Arl and told her I needed to go ask my superiors for further instructions. I placed the envelope of the transcripts in the inside breast pocket of my uniform jacket, and I began to rise from my chair. At that moment, the door from the gallery room slammed open. Five heavily armed military police rushed into the room. A man in a white laboratory coat followed closely behind them. He pushed a small cart that carried a box-shaped machine with a lot of dials on the face of it. 
Before I could act, two of the MPs grabbed Errol and held her firmly down on the oversized chair she had been sitting on since the first day of our interviews together. The other two MPs grabbed my shoulders and pushed me back down on my chair and held me there. The other MP stood directly in front of Errol, pointing a rifle directly at her, no more than six inches from her head. The man in the lab coat quickly wheeled the cart behind Errol's chair. He deftly placed a circular headband over Errol's head and turned back to the machine on the cart. Suddenly, he shouted the word, clear. The soldiers who were holding Errol released her. At that instant, I saw Errol's body stiffen and shudder. This lasted for about 15 or 20 seconds. The machine operator turned a knob on the machine and Errol's body slumped back into the chair. After a few seconds, he turned the knob again and Errol's body stiffened as before. He repeated the same process several more times. I sat in my chair being held down all the while by the MPs and I didn't understand what was going on. I was terrified and transfixed by what was happening. I couldn't believe it. After a few minutes, several other men wearing white lab coats entered the room. They briefly examined Errol, who was now slumped listlessly in the chair. They mumbled a few words to each other. One of the men waved to the gallery window. A gurney was immediately rolled into the room by two attendants. These men lifted Errol. That's a good thing, Peter. Peter said, uh, what's her name, Angela or Angela Marco? It depends on whether you're Marco. Anyways. The Chancellor of Germany, he says, down in the end of the month, Germany has no no control over the European Union anymore, right? Yeah, so so she's stepping down, right? So the, so the Germany no longer has control of the European Union. That switches to someone else. So because of that, the um, all you guys over in Europe are now basically on the free side, right? <laughs> you guys are you guys are able to to now go against the mandate that the the uh, fascist control of Germany and Austria had. Uh, pinning you guys down okay good right now we just have to worry about the russians invading the ukraine right <laughs> what's going on over there and whether or not europe will stand uh to uh, defend ukraine or if they'll let the russians um get in there and take control okay so let's get back to this so now they're attacking errol and they're they put a bag over her head and they're electrocuting her <laughs> Now, I don't know if they're trying to kill her at this point, subdue her, but what it seems like they're trying to do is they're trying to they're trying to ghost hunt her. They know, and you, you can tell this by what they're doing, they know that if you shock the human soul enough, you can you can daze it and confuse it. That's how they trap people, right? That's what they claim is the is the way they keep making us stay here. So We've done stuff like that where we've electrocuted people, so they know what exactly that's doing. But I think, unfortunately for them, they thought she was a little more inside that that shell than she was. She's a drone operator. I don't even think she's in this hemisphere of the world or of the universe. I think that she's that she's in a ship somewhere. So they're closer by than people think. First of all, she came here in a, in a UFO. That's not a you know that that was a small craft, a, a disc shaped craft. Those craft aren't set up to be flying from here to the center of the universe, right? They have to have a mothership. So there's a mothership that's somewhere. She's on from a base here in probably our solar system or just outside of it, right? More than likely just outside of it. Um, and I think she's just a drone operator. And, and I believe that's what happens is that she, the, all we get is the drone. You know, we get the body. That's it. 
cripple's limp body onto the gurney, strapped her down across the chest and arms, and rolled it out of the room. I was immediately escorted out of the interview room by the MPs and taken directly to my quarters, where I was locked in my room with the MPs remaining at guard outside the door. After about half an hour, there was a knock at the door of my quarters. When I opened it, General Twining entered, together with the machine operator in the white lab coat. The general introduced the man to me as Dr. Wilcox. He asked me to accompany him and the doctor. We left the room, followed by the MPs. After several twists and turns through the complex, we entered a small room where Errol had been wheeled on the gurney. The general told me that Errol and the Domain were considered to be a very important military threat to the United States. Errol had been immobilized so that she could not... I wanted to point out, is that he hasn't done this very much, but just now if you're looking at the screen, um, that he had changed the words there, right? The general told me that Errol and the Domain and the domain were considered to be a very great military threat to the United States. He changed the words there and didn't read that. He did that another time. I've noticed a couple places. I got used to doing that with raw two years and 10 months. So I just, you know, I pointed that out then. And I point that out now. There's a few times in this where he replaced a word with his own word. And I'm not sure why. Right. There's no footnote that says why that he did that, um, because the word great is not the same as the word he used. Right. It's a completely different meaning. Let's back this up. Just a notion. By the MPs and I didn't understand what was going on. I was terrified and transfixed by what was happening. I couldn't believe it. After a few minutes, several other men wearing white lab coats entered the room. They briefly examined Errol, who was now slumped listlessly in the chair. They mumbled a few words to each other. One of the men waved to the gallery window. A gurney was immediately rolled into the room by two attendants. These men lifted Errol's limp body onto the gurney, strapped her down across the chest and arms, and rolled it out of the room. I was immediately escorted out of the interview room by the MPs and taken directly to my quarters where I was locked in my room with the MPs remaining at guard outside the door. After about half an hour, there was a knock at the door of my quarters. When I opened it, General Twining entered, together with the machine operator in the white lab coat. The general introduced the man to me as Dr. Wilcox. He asked me to accompany him and the doctor. We left the room, followed by the MPs. After several twists and turns through the complex, we entered a small room where Errol had been wheeled on the gurney. The okay, now listen, listen to what he says here, right? This is the we're back to that spot when he when he gets to be a very to be a very great military threat to the United States. He changes that word. So listen. The general told me that Errol and the Domain were considered to be a very important military threat to the United States. Errol had been. Now, ultimately, it means the same thing. I just have a tendency, because I'm a scientist and I'm a nerd, to point these things out, right? Because is it possible that the word great didn't mean that now, right? Important. Or did he change that because he wanted to stress the importance of it? There's no reason for that. It was only that one word. Whatever, though, right? But I have to point it out because that's the way I am.
immobilized so that she could not depart and return to her base, as she said she would do in the interview. It would be a very grave risk to national security to allow Errol to report what she observed during her time at the base, so it had been determined that decisive action was needed to prevent this. The general asked me if I understood why this was necessary. I said that I did, although I most certainly did not agree that it was the least bit necessary, and I certainly did not agree with the surprise attack on Earl and me in the interview room. However, I said no. Okay, did he just do that again? He did, didn't he? Hold on, let's back this up a few seconds. The general told me that Errol and the Domain were considered to be a very important military threat to the United States. Errol had been immobilized so that she could not depart and return to her base, as she said she would do in the interview. It would be a very grave risk to national security to allow Errol to report what she observed during her time at the base, so it had been determined that decisive action was needed to prevent this. The general asked me if I understood why this was necessary. I said that I did, although I most certainly did not agree that it was the least bit necessary, and I certainly did not agree with the surprise attack on Earl and me in the interview room. However, I said nothing about this to the general because I was very afraid of what might happen to me and Earl if I protested Dr. Wilcox. No, I was wrong. It was just the way his tone was that I thought that he had done that. So I apologize for that one. But the, the, the paragraph before it did change. Okay. So Dr. Wilcox asked me to, to approach. Asked me to approach the gurney and stand next to Errol. Errol lay perfectly still and unmoving on the bed. I could not tell whether she was alive or dead. Several other men in white lab coats, who I assumed were also doctors, stood on the opposite side of the bed. They had connected two pieces of monitoring equipment to Errol's head, arms, and chest. One of these devices I recognized from my training as a surgical nurse as an EEG machine, which is used to detect electrical activity in the brain. The other device was a normal hospital room vital signs monitor, which I knew would be useless since Errol did not have a biological body. Dr. Wilcox explained to me that he had administered a series of mild electroshocks to Errol in an attempt to subdue her long enough to allow military authorities time to evaluate the situation and determine what to do with Errol. He asked me to attempt to communicate with Errol telepathically. I tried for several minutes, but couldn't sense any communication from Errol. I couldn't even sense whether Errol was present in the body any longer. I think you must have killed her, I said to the doctor. Dr. Wilcox told me that they would keep Errol under observation, and I would be asked to return later to establish communication with Errol again. So that's the end of chapter 14. For those of you who are on the MP3 file, you can't see that on your screen. <clears throat> so we're now going to chapter 15. Roswell, Alien Interview, Chapter 15, My Interrogation. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Personal Note. The next morning I was escorted from my quarters under guard of four MPs to the interview room. 
Errol's overstuffed chair had been removed from the room and replaced by a small desk and several office chairs. I was asked to sit down and wait to be interviewed. After a few minutes, Dr. Wilcox came into the office together with another man wearing a plain business suit. The man introduced himself as John Reed. Dr. Wilcox explained to me that Mr. Reed had been flown in from Chicago at the request of my superior officers to conduct a lie detector test on me. My surprise at this statement was so obvious that Dr. Wilcox noticed that I was obviously taken aback and insulted at the insinuation that I had ever lied about anything. Nonetheless, Mr. Reed began to set up his polygraph device on the desk next to my chair while Dr. Wilcox continued to explain in a calm voice that the test was being administered for my own protection. Since all the interviews with the alien had been conducted telepathically and that Errol had decided to read and attest that the typed transcripts were accurate, that the truth and accuracy of the statements contained in the transcripts depended entirely upon my personal word alone. There was no other reliable way to test the accuracy of the transcripts without submitting me to a battery of tests and psychological examinations to determine, in the opinion of experts, meaning himself, whether the transcripts should be taken seriously or not. The tone of his voice said very clearly, or dismissed as the delusional ranting of a mere woman. Mr. Reed proceeded to strap a rubber tube around my chest, as well as an ordinary blood pressure cutoff around my upper arm. Then he placed electrodes on the fingers and surfaces of my hands. He explained that he would be very objective during the interview because he had been thoroughly trained in scientific interrogation. This training was supposed to make his interrogation free of human error. Mr. Reed explained to me that in response to the questions he and Dr. Wilcox were going to ask me, that actual physiological changes would be transmitted through a small panel unit. The readings would then be tracked on moving graph paper, which he placed beside the machine on the desk. The parallel graphs on the paper would then be correlated and interpreted by Mr. Reed with the expert assistance of Dr. Wilcox to determine whether or not I was lying. Both Mr. Reed and Dr. Wilcox asked me a series of innocuous questions to begin, which advanced into a more pointed interrogation about my interviews with Errol. Here's what I remember about the questions. What is your name? Matilda O'Donnell, I replied. What is your date of birth? June 12, 1924, I said. What is your age? 23. Where were you born? Los Angeles, California, I said, and so on and so forth. Are you able to communicate by telepathy? No, I have never been able to do this with anyone except Errol, I said. Were any of the statements you made to the stenographer falsified? No, I answered. Have you intentionally or unintentionally imagined or fabricated any of the communication you claim to have had with the alien? No, of course not, I said. Are you intentionally attempting to deceive anyone? No. Are you attempting to obstruct this test? No. What color are your eyes? Blue. Are you Catholic? Yes. 
Would you tell the same stories to your parish priest in a Catholic church confessional that you told the stenographer here at the base? Yes. Are you trying to hide anything from us? No, nothing. Do you believe everything the alien communicated to you? Yes. Do you consider yourself to be a gullible person? No. The questions continued in this manner for more than an hour. Finally, I was unhooked from the polygraph machine and allowed to return to my quarters, still under guard by the MPs. Later in the afternoon, I returned to the interview room. This time, the desk was replaced by a hospital gurney. Dr. Wilcox was accompanied by a staff nurse this time. He asked me to lie down on the gurney. He said that he had been requested to ask me the same series of questions that I answered for the lie detector test. This time, however, I would respond to the questions under the influence of a truth serum known as sodium pentothal. As a trained surgical nurse, I was familiar with this barbiturate drug as it was sometimes used as an anesthetic. Dr. Wilcox asked me if I had any objection to submitting to such a test. I told him I had nothing to hide. I cannot recall anything about this interview. I assumed that when I finished answering the questions, I was escorted back to my room by the MPs with their assistance this time as I was too wobbly and woozy from the drug to navigate by myself. However, I had a very peaceful sleep that night. Apparently, neither of these interrogations yielded any suspicious results as I was not asked any more questions after that. Thankfully, I was left alone during the rest of my time at the base. <clears throat> That's the end of chapter 15, going on to chapter 16. Roswell, Alien Interview, chapter 16, Errol Departs, Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Personal Note. I remained at the base mostly confined to my quarters for another three weeks after Errol had been incapacitated by Dr. Wilcox. Once a day, I was escorted to the room where Errol lay on the bed, under continued surveillance by Dr. Wilcox and others. Each time I went to the room, I was asked to try to communicate with Errol again. Each time there was no response. This saddened me a great deal. As the days continued, I became increasingly more certain and distressed that Errol was dead, if that is the right word for it. Every day I reread the transcripts of my interviews with Errol, searching for a clue that might remind me of something or help me in some way to re-establish communication with Errol. I still had the envelope in my possession with copies of the transcripts that Errol was asked to sign. To this day, I don't understand why no one ever asked me to return them. I suppose they forgot about the copy of the transcripts and all the excitement. I did not offer to return them. I kept them concealed under the mattress of my bed all the time I remained at the base and have kept them with me ever since then. You will be... <clears throat> See, so that explains how she got the transcripts out. So in that craziness that went on with them grabbing, trying to grab up Errol, and then, of course, she checked out. She jettisoned, turned off her, her rig, turned off her machine. Pew, no longer in communication with that drone, right? That's what, that's what happened. And then they completely forgot because then they were, you know, you could tell they obviously argued and somebody said... First of all, she's just a woman because this is 1947, right? So women were considered, uh, they weren't considered property anymore, but they were still considered stupid. And, and well, they were still kind of property, weren't they? They couldn't vote and all that stuff yet. 
right? So they, of course, looked down, like she even mentioned that, where they said mere woman, you know? So uh, so there was already, I'm sure, the arguments, because that would be the natural course of an argument. There would be one, at least one person, possibly more of those men that would go, how do we know she's not making this whole fucking thing up? All of this could just be in her head. Right. This whole thing you could have been duping us the entire time. Well, then there's the other guys going, she sat with an alien the whole time. So do you think they were just sitting in there not doing anything and she was just making this stuff up? And, the, you know, so that was the argument. Well, we have to make sure that what she said is true because now we have no proof and they were still paranoid. So they went after her and did put her through all those rigors. By the time they got done with that, they're like, well, I'm sure they, the, 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 at the very least they were like, well, she believes that what she's saying is true. Right. That would be the, the least that they would say. They wouldn't. You know what I mean? They, they, so they would find that that would they would find that at the end. And that's why they left her there. And they still had her come back to try and see if she can make you know, communication because they don't know if Errol's playing possum. Right. So I get that. So um, that's understandable. Right. And they just forgot about shit. All that excitement they forgot she had that stuff. So she ended up taking it home with her. That's one of the reasons we have the transcript. It's because those dumbasses didn't do their job. <laughs> Think about that. Be the first person to see these transcripts. Since Errol's body was not biological, the doctors could not detect whether the body was alive or dead unless it moved. Of course, I knew that if Errol was not consciously animating the body as an Isby, the body would not move. I explained this to Dr. Wilcox. I explained this to him several times. Each time he just gave me a patronizing sort of smile, patted my arm, and thanked me for trying again. At the end of the third week, I was told by Dr. Wilcox that my services would no longer be needed because it had been decided by the military to move Arl to a larger, more secure military medical facility that was better equipped to deal with the situation. He didn't say anything about where the facility was located. That was the last time I saw Arl's doll body. The following... Let's see, Groom Lake, right? Area 51, right? The following day, I received written orders. Uh, Patterson Air Base, maybe, right? Signed by General Twining. The order said that I had completed my service to the U.S. military and was officially discharged from further duty and that I would receive an honorable discharge and a generous military pension. I would be also relocated by the military and given a new identity with the appropriate documents. Along with the orders, I... Okay, see, now Peter from Ireland, who was, in, who was in the crowd earlier, Peter Coyle, I don't know if he's still here, he had said that. He told me that, and I didn't, and I didn't catch that when I read this the first time. He said that she lived under a, a, a alias and that she was over there in the UK. Right? I had heard Scotland. He said, no, she was in Ireland. I think that's what he said. Peter, if you're still out there, um, let me know that. I think that's what you said. So here, right here, right? See, you are still here. So, yeah, so she was given a new name and disappeared. And apparently she was over there, right? Apparently she went back to the motherland and, and uh, you know, back to the old sod, as we Irish say, and uh, lived out her life there until she then turned over this transcript to, obviously, the coalition because I got a hold of it. <laughs> So, so it wasn't just because I don't know anybody else who knows this, right? There's only a few of us that seen this video. I keep telling people it's on YouTube. That's where I got it from. Unless they took it down. I immediately recorded it. The second that I saw it and it was given to me, I immediately recorded it and put it on the hard drive for fear that this was going to be taken down. But because of the, the coolie coop, right? 
that's been going around with this pandemic, this this cold demic that's been going around. The powers that should not be are chasing their um, their seats and themselves because they're more worried about people talking smack about the jibber jabber than they are about aliens anymore. <laughs> so they've allowed this and didn't stop it so far as I know. And if they did, I have the only copy of it myself and the guy who, who originally made it, right? Because it could have been taken down from the universe. But if so, they're leaving my, you know, we're on what, what are we, 20, is this 22, 23, right? There are 23 episodes <laughs> of this up already. So here we go. Let's continue here. I received a document that I was instructed to read and sign. It was an oath of secrecy. The language of the document was full of legalese, but the point was very clearly made that I was to never, ever discuss anything whatsoever with anyone about anything whatsoever that I had seen, heard, or experienced during my service in the military under pain of death as an act of treason against the United States of America. As it turned out, I was placed into a federal government witness protection program, except that I would be protected from the government by the government. In other words, as long as I stayed quiet, I could stay alive. The following morning, I was placed aboard a small military transport plane and flown to a relocation destination. After being shuttled to several locations for short periods, I eventually ended up in Glasgow, Montana, near Fort Peck. The night before I was scheduled to board the transport plane, I lay in bed contemplating the whole affair and wondering what happened to Errol and to me. I suddenly heard Errol's voice. I sat bolt upright in my bed and turned on the light on the... Welcome, Julie. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Share this out, share this out, share this out. ...nightstand. I looked around the room frantically for a few seconds. Then I realized that it was Errol, the Isby. Her body was not in the room with me, of course, and it didn't need to be. She said hello. The tone of her thought was plain and friendly. It was unmistakably Errol. I did not have the least doubt about that. I thought, Errol, are you still here? She answered that she was here, but not in the body on Earth. She had returned to her post at the domain base when the doctor and the MPs attacked us in the interview room. She was pleased to perceive that I was well and that I was going to be released unharmed. I wondered how she escaped from them. I was worried that they might have injured Errol by the shock machine. Errol said that she was able to leave the body before the shock was administered and avoid the electric current running through the body. She wanted to let me know that she was safe and not to worry about her. I was very relieved, to say the least. I asked Errol if I would ever see her again. Errol reassured me that we are both Isbees. We are not physical bodies. Now that she had located me in space and time, we would always stay in communication. Errol wished me well, and my communication with her ended for the moment. <clears throat> okay, so the end of chapter 16 and the end of the book, footnotes. Roswell, Alien Interview, postscript from Mrs. McElroy. Editor yeah, so this is good. Some, some postscript stuff, right? So let's get into this. So that's the end of the book, but this is some more juicy details right here. So let's, so obviously, uh, eventually she showed up, like Peter said, she showed up over in, in Ireland, right? Uh, he says, and they put it up on the screen right here. He said, yes, she, she uh, relocated to, uh, to Ireland and to a mental institution because they need to keep it under the radar, right? So 
And so that's where that's where she ended up. And, uh, so they hit her. They stole her away and hit her to keep her secret so that she wouldn't tell the story. And if she kept quiet, they wouldn't kill her. Well, when she was going to die anyway, she said, blah, here's the story, guys. Take it to the world. All right, let's continue. There's note. The following message was enclosed in a separate envelope marked Read Me Last, together with the original letter, the transcripts, and the other notes of explanation I received in the envelope from Mrs. McElroy. This is what the message said. The other documents in this envelope are the end of the story as far as what happened back in 1947. However, several months after the government got me settled at my final relocation destination, I continued my communication with Errol on a regular basis. It has been almost exactly 40 years since the crash at Roswell. Since then, it has become obvious to me that I have been able to communicate telepathically with Errol for one reason. I am one of the 3,000 members of the Lost Battalion. At this time, all the members of the Lost Battalion have been located on Earth as a result of the Domain Anunnaki mission and their use of the Tree of Life detection device. Through my communication with Errol, I have recovered some of my no, memory no, of lives stop. I spent on Earth over the past right from there. them. I was worried right? that they might have injured Errol by the shock machine. Errol said that she was able to leave the body before the shock was administered and avoid the electric current running through the body. She wanted to let me know that she was safe and not to worry about her. I was very relieved, to say the least. I asked Errol if I would ever see her again. Errol reassured me that we are both Isbees. We are not physical bodies. Now that she had located me in space and time, we would always stay in communication. Errol wished me well, and my communication with her ended for the moment. Okay, so the reason I did this is that she brought Roswell, up the Anunnaki. Right, she brought up the Anunnaki. So that's why I backed it up, guys. So I'm going to let it play again, and I want to get up there, because even what she's saying, is pretty intense, so I didn't want to just pass over it, right? So let's go. An interview, postscript from Mrs. McElroy. Editor's note, the following message was enclosed in a separate envelope marked Read Me Last, together with the original letter, the transcripts, and the other notes of explanation I received in the envelope from Mrs. McElroy. This is what the message said. The other documents in this envelope are the end of the story as far as what happened back in 1947. However, several months after the government got me settled at my final relocation destination, I continued my communication with Errol on a regular basis. It has been almost exactly 40 years since the crash at Roswell. Since then, it has become obvious to me that I have been able to communicate telepathically with Errol for one reason. I am one of the 3,000 members of the Lost Battalion. At this time... Okay, so here, here's, another, here's another little ditty, right? So... So the... What are the odds? Okay, this is... Here's me looking at this from the perspective of the universe, right? and uh, the karmic wheel. So the, they, she's obviously on a military mission. They were coming down here. They claim there's 3,000 of their personnel that are here. <clears throat> In 1947, they couldn't find them, and they said they've been looking for them forever, and there's no way they're ever going to find them. Yet, <clears throat> now we're supposed to believe 
that working at the military base just happens to be one of the 3,000 military personnel that have been captured and put onto this prison, right? And and here and this is why I had to stop this here. So, what are the odds, first of all, that the alien ship crashes in Roswell, which I believe was they were shot down by a particle uh, beam weapon that the United States used because I know we had those, and we were using those to shoot down UFOs back at this time. Don't don't ask me where I got that information from. The only thing I could say is uh, is someone inside the American government. Okay, so I can tell you that, but I can't tell you the name of the person. Okay, but we were using those. I know that for a fact we were shooting down UFOs. There was a race between us and everybody. The Russians were doing it. Uh, we were doing it. The England was doing it. All the countries, even Canada, everybody was wholesale shooting down aircraft uh, in, in the air to get technology from them. Eventually, well, we became a military power ourselves, and we have now have technology that people want. They come to us and trade. And that, that's some of the stuff, you know, that they don't want you guys to ever learn, especially because they traded humans uh, for technology for various reasons, either for food or for slave labor or uh, other reasons to get technology. OK, and, I, and they don't want those atrocities being found out ever. So that's the part of the UFOs that they're afraid of, just like that whole, um, you know, Pizzagate thing. Right. Which is also coming undone. And so now they're trying to normalize it. So, however, think about this now. You're going on to a planet to try and uh, recon, to try and find one of your 3,000 mates that were might have been captured and relocated onto the planet. Now, the story is, think about this now, the story that's currently out there in the world is that the Anunnaki are our slave masters. The Anunnaki are the ones who came here, those from heaven came, which we know is all a, crack, a bunch of crap, but there's a very large portion of the, of the planet who wants to believe this. So if the Anunnaki are, in fact, the ones who put us in jail, why is the domain force working with the Anunnaki to try and locate 3,000 souls that were theirs that were captured by the Anunnaki, apparently, because they're the ones that are supposed to be the ones who put us in this prison? Do you understand that? And what are the odds that she happened to be one of those in the right place at the right time to meet with this person, to end up communicating with this alien, and then spilling the beans to the whole world? Now, you're going to say that that just happened randomly without a god? That's what Errol's trying to say. She got lucky when she was captured. She was reconning and she got lucky that somebody showed up that she could communicate with and find out, hey, this is one of those souls. She just doesn't know it. And that's why Errol made the comment. Now that I know where you are and in what place and time, we'll never lose communication. So she's going to track her until she dies and then try to extract her. And she claims that 40 years later, they have found the location of all 3,000 prisoners that are here. Yet, she says... The members of the Lost Battalion, we'll get there in a second because they're almost getting down to that. The member of the Lost Battalion have been located on Earth as a result of the Domain Anunnaki mission and their use of the Tree of Life detection device. So wait a minute, now we're getting conflicting reports. In 1947, the Anunnaki were supposed to be the good guys. But yet we're told the Anunnaki are the ones who are the bad guys. Right? 
So if the Anunnaki are the bad guys, then the domain force are our prison keepers. But they're claiming that the Anunnaki mission, what does she mean by that? The domain Anunnaki mission, what does she mean by that? So are they saying that the, the mission is, they called it Anunnaki because they're trying to go and stop the Anunnaki? So then the Anunnaki would be the old guard, right? So now I'm just going to trade, tra you know, we're, we're looking at trading the Anunnaki for the domain force, and they're just another uh, a force of evil that's trying to take over. One or both of those, the domain or the Anunnaki or both, is the Orion Crusaders. Do you understand? So could they both be the, yeah, and maybe one, one faction is now trying to take over the other faction? I don't know, and it, we could speculate that all day. But my point here is, first of all, if there is no serendipity, if there is no, uh, welcome, Aaron, share this out, share this out. Aaron, I'm in, I'm in uh, uh, YouTube jail again. I can't post on YouTube again. So they let me off for exactly, what, seven days and put me right back in jail. And I don't know what for. I know that they were working on it. So it was another video that was another, it was a year old. Okay, so so something in the universe, right? Something in the universe placed that nurse in the right place to be able to communicate with Errol. Well, Errol was there to recon for the 3,000 people. She got lucky, and one of them happened to be there, and she was able to make communication with her and tell her all this stuff, right? And then on top of that, right, then, then she's, you know, she is one of those people, and then she communicates with them for the rest of the time. But again, she says, as a result of the domain Anunnaki mission, that sounds like a joint mission, not the, not the mission in quotes called Anunnaki. So if the Anunnaki are supposed to be the bad guys, and they're the ones who supposedly put us into this. Yeah, I know. Aaron says they're sterilizing YouTube. That's what I was talking about, right? No, no, uh, Denise. Uh, well, she may be by now. She's died. She has since passed. Right. So since after, the, you know, uh, prior to what everything she's saying here, she died, you know, um, she made it. She lived until I, I believe I don't know for sure. I believe it was somewhere around uh, 2012 when she died. She was like in her 90s or something. So she has gone off off this earth now. Errol is uh, also Errol left back in 1947, obviously. And then she lived for, you know, another 40 years. And she was talking about that when she wrote this footnote uh, in and then decided to give the information over. So, so now, uh, now uh, Matilda has died, right? She has died, and so her spirit, we're assuming, has either recycled back onto the earth because we, we are, in fact, still trapped here, or, or the, the uh, domain force, domain, domain expeditionary force, tried to intercept her soul and take it home. I don't know what happened from there, and, I, and we, she wouldn't be able to write it down here because this is the stuff she trans, uh, transcripted before or wrote before she died, right? Before her soul checked out. However, right, and we'll continue here, right? We'll continue on. But I just wanted to point out that she said not not the mission was called the Anunnaki mission, right? That it was the domain Anunnaki mission. That sounds like there should be a slash in there, right? And But there's no quotes either. So I can't tell whether the mission was called Anunnaki or if it was a joint task force. Either way, the Anunnaki are supposed to be the bad guys. Right? So we'll see. Let's continue. Time, all the members of the Lost Battalion have been located on Earth as a result of the Domain Anunnaki mission and their use of the Tree of Life detection device. 
Through my communication with Errol, I have recovered some of my memory of lives I've spent on Earth over the past 8,000 years. Most of these memories are not especially important compared to the long backtrack of events, but it has been a necessary stepping stone to regaining my awareness and ability as an Isby. I can also remember some dim patches of my life in the Domain Expeditionary Force. I was a nurse there too. For the most part, I've been a nurse over and over and over again down through the ages. I stick with being a nurse because it's familiar to me. And I but see, now that would suggest that she's in service to others. Right? However, and this might explain, remember way back when I said, I, I don't understand why she would be so unfamiliar with the ideology that we have an immortal soul. Because they, they suggested, she suggested that she had it never dawned on her that she had an immortal soul. Right? So I said, I'm unsure as to how far back the Christian religion uh, was, was not teaching that, or if they were, because Jesus was teaching that you had an immortal soul. So, the, so this kind of does explain something, right? Because if, if Matilda was, in fact, in service to self when she crash-landed on Earth, it is very possible that in the 8,000 years that she was recycling on Earth, she became uh, more inclined towards the in-service-to-others, which she must have already had an affinity for in some ways because she was a nurse, she claims, when she was a part of the expeditionary force, the domain expeditionary force. So that would suggest that not all of the people are completely evil on that side that are over there. See, this is the stuff that I try to get out of these things. Because she was a nurse, someone has to be a nurse, so maybe she was doing it because she had to. But she can tell I was a nurse because it was comfortable, I was what I knew, so she kept doing it. So she was in service to others that changed her either way to the point where eventually she gave this information out to us. Do you understand? So, But the fact that she didn't know she had an immortal soul would play into the, to the conditioning even if she was in service to others, if the expeditionary force forces you not to believe in God, like the like the Communist Party does in China and the Communist Party in Russia and the Communist Party in uh, Venezuela and the Communist Party, in, or not in Venezuela, but yeah, and, and over in North Korea. So whenever you take a, a control of a mass population, totalitarian uh, uh, style, Right. To where it's either oligarchs or polyarchs that are running the, the show and they and they get, you know, uh, they, they take control because they have the power and the money and then they outlaw religion and free speech and all that stuff. You wouldn't be able to teach people that they're that you are an immortal soul because that says that you're going to there's God that also has has to bring in if there's God and an immortal soul, then the word love is going to come up somewhere along the line. Right. So, so it would it would stand to show that she didn't have an idea because when she was born, she was born into a society that that is godless. So therefore, she didn't know she was immortal, even though Errol claims to have that knowledge. You have to remember that their origin story has them just coming into being. All of us, every single being in the universe, came into being in a blink of an eye, shrunk, and we created ourselves which us hillbilly backwoods uh, rednecks out here on Terra, the edges of the universe, we don't believe in that. We, we don't think that's what happened. We got this thing called a God, creation. 
right? And that we was all created by a creator. How could you create yourself? Well, the creator got created by something. Well, yes, we do. We know that the creator got created by something too. Well, what's that? I don't know. Because the creator didn't tell us. Well, then maybe we all did get created by ourselves. It doesn't track. It doesn't track that a billion, trillion, trillion, gazillion, gazillion, gazillion uh, of gods would just appear in the universe. Spoop! Out of nothing. Hey, guess what? We're all gods. That's kind of cool. Now I'm bored. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's create shit and then, then fuck it up. What do you mean? Well, let's create shit, create life, and then go and control it all and beat the hell out of everything and rape and murder and kill. Well, that's no fun. Yeah, it is. Have you done it? See my point? However, then when she was here and exposed to the idea of an immortal soul, it changed her, her way of thinking completely. But I don't believe that she was told that on earth. I think that she was just here and never pondered that about spirituality because she probably wasn't spiritual at all because of her, her of who her soul was and her conditioning in the soul from her birth. Now, maybe she was in that place. We don't know. I can speculate only. However, there was a change in that immortal soul. And at the end, she decided this information was information that was important for the souls of this planet to know and got that information out there. And I'm doing the same to get it to you. So there was a change in her at the end. Because obviously before that, she didn't think about having a soul at all until this happened. So it was this spiritual event that she had that made her go, wait, I might be one of those 3,000 people. And then when Arrow kind of told her that, then she was like, wait, now I have the memory of this stuff. Some people could say it was suggestive memory that by this delusion in her brain that she thinks is Errol clinically is talking to her and it's obvious that it's just a split personality that she had to split okay but then the whole scenario of the alien thing and her making contact with the alien uh you know what what, what that was that the government trying to like do that to her <laughs> you know what i mean so she had to have had a contact with the alien so that wasn't so it wasn't like she she's making her whole thing up because otherwise you put an alien in a room with a human and the two of them just sit there for eight hours and don't say anything and she comes out and says, I have this story the alien told me and she's making it up in her head because she's already crazy and they don't know it. They tried her to see if she was. And they found that she was fit and she wasn't crazy. And so they knew that she was talking to a real alien. And then they had her go into witness protection witness protection program from the government. Because other people might decide they want to pick her apart. Right? So th that right there leans a, a little bit more weight to what she's saying, is my point. Because all that sounds crazy, and all of that is, is you can't go back now and say that was all in her head. Because they did extensive psychological analysis, including giving her sodium pentothal and putting her through the ringer of torture mentally to try and get them to, to find out whether or not she was making it all up. And they determined she was not. Right. So obviously she was in communication. That's crazy, right? And then then she might have been one of those things, but it still doesn't. It still has me tripping. That's why I haven't started it again. It still has me tripping about that whole uh, um, Anunnaki part that she brought up right there. Enjoy the work of helping people as well as the members of the race of biological beings in the domain whose bodies look more like insects than mammals. 
especially their hands. Even Okay, so now we're looking at possibly the, um, what are they called? The praying mantis aliens now. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but they're here too, right? And they're just the side of them killed people. <laughs> they had to put people through testing because they, they said, now you're going to go in here. You're going to meet aliens. Just know that. And when you're walking, you know, there was a time there was a guy who was working for the military. It happened more than once. Uh, but the story I've heard where he's walking and he's on his way in he's one of the tunnels and they round a corner and there's a reptile or not a reptilian, but a, a praying mantis that's uh, nine feet tall. That's meandering down the hallway, coming towards them. Like I had a heart attack and dropped dead. So they had to make sure that you understood just exactly what you were up against before you went into some of these military bases where you would be running into aliens because you were going to see human beings that were orange and yellow and dark blue, right? And some that are dark brown and some that are multicolored. Like me, I'm freckled, I'm multicolored, but worse than that. Uh, you know, out of the ordinary of human, normal to this planet that we have indigenous here. Looking like us, though, bipedal, humanoid body, but the skin is a completely different pigment than anything we have here. And that's just the humanoid looking ones. But a praying mantis walking down the hallway, looking at you, uh, you know, that's kind of scary. You'd be like, whoa, fucking big giant bug, right? So she's saying they don't, they look more alien than they do human. So there, but here's the thing. She claimed, Errol, that is, claimed that they were light. She claimed they were light. So we have a discrepancy here. Errol claimed that they were light only, and the only time they got into bodies was to work like the, the spacecraft and stuff they were going to do in the third dimension, third density. So now Matilda is saying that she was a nurse back then and that they had bodies. Now she's claiming that she's really, really old to the point where that goes back to before she goes back to before they ascended to a light body. Or is she not at that level? Now, remember this, that the that the uh, Orion Crusader group is not only in the third dimension, but they're also in the fourth and the fifth. And there is a complete difference in the human body, at just the human body alone, in those three dimensions, those three densities. Okay? So it is possible that she's still part of the same force. She's just in a 3D body, not the 4 or 5D body. Because if you're, by the time you get into 5D, you don't have much of a shell left. Our, our human body, if we stay in the human portion as we go up in our uh, graduation to the different uh, levels, our human body starts to become, um, like, gone, transparent and gone. And, and eventually we just have like the torso and our head and then eventually just our head. And then after that, we become light. As we transcend. Right. So so there's a, a little bit of a discrepancy there, but my knowledge would would gives me an insight into she might not have been into the fifth dimension or higher. Right. But when she claims she's in the 12th, coming from the 12th dimension or something like that, she's just not because you can't be evil to be there. I'm just saying that's the way the laws of the universe work. It's not me making that shit up. I'm not the ones who, who invented that. Right. <laughs> so Ashley, welcome. Welcome. She's not saying anything, but Allison said Ashley from our chat group is here. Welcome. Okay. So, so now let's continue on, right? We don't have much left of this. We might as well finish it out today. 
and then I'll have to move Friday on to another topic. But let's continue with what she's saying here and see what else, what other kind of information we can get. Because this is the, the probably the real juicy stuff. It is a narrative. It is a postscript. But, I mean, she's giving us some really good stuff now uh, that Arrow was very reserved about, right? So let's continue and see what we can glean from this. Doll bodies need some repair once in a while, too. As I remember more about my past, I realize that the rest of my life is in the future. Eternity is not just in the past. Eternity is in the future. At this point, I'm still not able to fully return to the domain. I am sentenced to eternal imprisonment like all other Isbees in the living hell called Earth until we can disable the old Empire force screens. Because I won't keep my biological body much longer now, I am intensely aware that very soon I will be recycled through the amnesia process of the old empire and stuck back into another baby body to start all over again without any memory of what went before. As you know, members of the Domain Expeditionary Force have been working to solve this problem for thousands of years. Errol said that even though the Domain has located all of the Lost Battalion officers and crew, the success of freeing them depends on the Isbees who are already on Earth. The Domain Central Command cannot authorize any personnel or resources at this time to conduct a rescue mission, as this is not the primary mission of... Okay, <clears throat> let's stop right here. And let me reread this. As you know, members of the, dom the, the Domain Expeditionary Force have been working to solve this problem for thousands of years. Errol says that even though the Domain has located all of the lost battalion officers and crew, the success of freeing them depends on the Isbees who are already on Earth. What does that mean? Why did I stop there? Think about what she just said. Zag, welcome. Welcome and hello. Okay, so let me reread that, right? So as you know, members of the Domain Expeditionary Force have been working to solve this problem, the problem of trying to get souls off of Earth. They're stuck. For, there are people, really. There are 3,000. They don't give a shit about the rest of us. For thousands of years, Errol says, even though the, the Domain has located all of their lost battalion officers and crew. The success of freeing them depends on the Isbees who are already on Earth. Not, not it depends on the 3,000 Isbees that are our domain force. But she words it. The success of freeing them depends on the Isbees who are already on Earth. The reason I stopped there and the reason I said that is because she's here implying that the humans on Earth are in control of the Matrix. Do you understand that? There is no other reason for her to say the words in the order that she said them. The success of freeing them depends on the Isbees, meaning the immortal souls, the beings who are already on Earth. The Domain Central Command cannot authorize any personnel or resources at this time to conduct a re rescue mission, as this is not the primary mission of the Domain Expeditionary Force in this galaxy. Now, the only reason that she would say the last part of that 
is that she's trying to say that they don't have she's trying to get around not saying or she's trying not to say they can't because it's not authorized what she's saying is that the domain can't authorize the domain people can't won't authorize people to come here because it wasn't their mission to do so so they don't give a shit about prisoners. We don't stop to try and rescue prisoners. We just leave them where they are and continue forward on our mission. The mission is more important than any any person. Okay, so again, that suggests a godless in service to self-organization. So because of that, they will not ever say that the people that are already on Earth have the power to get themselves unstuck. Do you understand that? Because if they do, they have to admit that there is a God. They have to admit that there is, uh, you know, creative control and say that out loud. So you can't say that unless God exists. Creation exists because why? Because then if that's the case and we are immortal, like she claims, that all we have to do is wake up. She said this. All we have to do is wake up. If all of us woke up and realized, hey, you can't keep me here. They couldn't keep us here. So we're so we're not actually stuck here, guys. We're doing this to ourselves. Do you understand that? I said this before. We're not really stuck. We just think we are. This is not happening. It's an illusion. It just thinks it's happening. Okay, and this is where, again, like I said, let me go back and reread that for you, and then we'll continue on. Because this is the most important paragraph from this entire four-hour series is, is her thoughts right here when she's saying what Errol told her. It's very telling. The wording is encoded. It's very telling. Okay? As you know, members of the Domain Expeditionary Force, this is the third time I'm reading it, but I'm doing this to get it into everybody's head. As you know, members of the Domain Expeditionary Force have been uh, working to solve this problem for and the problem of getting people off Earth and, and not being stuck here for, for thousands of years. Errol says that even though they the Domain has located all of its lost battalion officers and crew, the success of freeing them depends on the Isbies who are already on Earth. So the Isbies on Earth are in charge of who leaves and who doesn't when that happens. The domain central command cannot authorize any personnel or resources at this time. But here she has to clarify, because if she doesn't, then you're going to ask the question, well, why not? Because it, deter it is determined by those ISBs already on Earth. That's why. But then she has to, she has to say this afterwards. Otherwise, they have she would have to admit there is a higher power. Because that goes along with that. If we have control, creative control of the matrix, that means that everything that everybody has said is true. And if that's true, then the human condition is self-inflicted, and we do have the power of creation. That means, ergo, there is a creator. Do you understand that? So the only way she can get you to not to believe that is to, to say to conduct a, a rescue mission in, uh, is 
as this is not the primary mission of the Domain Expeditionary Force in this galaxy. Well, our mission is to launch from here to take over the center of the galaxy so we don't give a shit about our people. Someday we might come back for them because you guys aren't going anywhere because you're stuck. So again, she, I, think that, I think that's a, a Freudian slip. It slipped out. You guys can read it and interpret it however you want, right? It's, truthfully, it is up to everybody's individual um, belief. That's why we're stuck here. That's how we're stuck here. Okay, we did it to ourselves. We're pretending that we're stuck. And we believe that we're stuck because we keep telling ourselves that we're stuck. Now, that happens when you get mind wiped. So I'm, I'm not buying that this is the only place that happens. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that the only place that people get stuck when they're born and get mind wiped and get recycled into a baby is in this spot only in the entire universe. Now, it's been suggested that, and if that's true, then the stories that the Andromedans tell is true. And let me tell you that story, right? If you guys listen to um, Coolier, you'll, you'll, he's been talking about that since 91. Okay, so the Andromedans claim that a group of people, us, the human race, those people who were here uh, not as wanderers, but the indigenous. I might be one of them, but I believe I'm a wanderer. But that doesn't mean that I'm not. That doesn't mean that I'm, I could be one of those. So let's just assume that that whole wanderer thing is just our way of trying to wriggle our way free. And let's just say that we are stuck. So here's, the, here's what they're claiming. They're claiming that the human race was from the 11th density and as a species at that time decided to descend back to the third density to go through this all over again. So we did. We left the third density. This is the fallen angel story, guys, in the Bibles. Came down, found Earth, found this place with this body, and inhabited this body to live uh, uh, like this, like we did. Now, whether or not we did that intentionally to get ourselves stuck, or if we someone capitalized on it once we got here, we got ourselves stuck. But I believe that it is what happens all over the universe anyway. So we knew that signing on, but I think what happened was, and I believe this because what Raw says and what uh, Thoth says and a few other of the Gnostic gospels is that we got here and then people got to choose good or evil. And some people chose evil, 8% of the population chose evil and then exploited that. Right? That's why I do this, Denise. She says, I am so glad to have you explain this because then after you explain it, I'm like, bingo, I get it. That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this exactly for that. That's the reason I'm doing this. Okay? So so we came back, got ourselves stuck on purpose because we wanted to go and, and, and we thought we could do it as good as God. And we, and we fucked up. And since we were a creation of the Milky Way galaxy, I'm told the Milky Way galaxy, the personality that is the Milky Way galaxy is what we call Jesus. And because this has never happened before, no one has ever, as a species, almost back to God, has ever descended as a whole race to get themselves stuck on purpose to go through it again. Now, what I'm, what I'm gleaning from the universe is that the Big Bang, from our perspective, happened here. 
and that aliens throughout the, the, the Milky Way have been coming to the Earth and implanting their DNA on the spot that the Big Bang happened. If that is the case, then they did that because this is a holy shrine. We came to the body that was created by these 22 alien races, and we occupied it. So we are, in fact, alien DNA. We are, in fact, a, a, a royalty throughout the universe. And then on top of that, we were people that were almost back to God who then descended and came down here. No one's ever done that before with an experiment of self-rule. Sound familiar? The experiment that is America? And now we're starting to figure out, <clears throat> all these movies are telling us, right, the end games are going to be in America. Faraway land. You remember that with the Highlander movies? Everything ended up in America. So then there's this fight in America over the DNA of America or of the world, I should say. And where did it all start? Oh, remember they came from Africa. The Australians said, no, no, we found out that it wasn't, wasn't there. It came out of Australia. Now all of the people are starting to say it's very possible we were wrong that the entire thing started in America. So all life on this rock started in America, according to the Andromedans and now the scientists around the world. So. Then everything expanded out from there. So if the point of origin for this universe is here, that means somewhere centrally located in the middle of America is the jump-off point. And that could be the Midwest because that's where all life grows, right? We're growing corn for hundreds and thousands of miles out there. I don't know. I'm just saying. This is speculation. However, but this is everything that I've been told from off-world entities and on-world entities. So we did this to ourselves. We came down here. We got stuck. We fucked up because we didn't realize how bad it was to be stuck because we were so far away from it. We forgot what it was, how, how grueling it is. We got here. We got ourselves stuck. Other aliens tried to help us fuck things up worse. Ross said they admit that. They came here and tried to help us and fuck things up worse. Now they're staying to help us get unstuck. So we got ourselves stuck. People tried to help us because we're royalty, we're rock stars, okay? And then we had to have an intervention. Because we were so stuck, because we then were hijacked by the 8% and pulled away from knowing God or knowing a creation, that the Savior, the Milky Way galaxy mindset itself, because if you listen to the creation— the creator created created the sun of the creator and the sun created the milky way galaxy or the sun was the milky way galaxy and created so you had the logos the creation of the universe the sublogos which would be the jesus universe creating within itself and we were that creation so we're the sub sub sublogos or the sub-sub-sub creation or creator, do you understand, in the third place. So we're the third creation in the yellow ray, which is the third chakra, which is in the third place, and we're the third planet from that third chakra. That's the number three in the 36912. So it's completely cyclical, and it adds up in nature, and it balances nature 100%. Therefore, it's not a prison that someone else runs that's keeping us here. That doesn't mathematically add up, even if you use fractals. 
And this is my nuclear physicist brain coming through. But those of you who know the math know what I'm talking about. And those of you who don't, I apologize. It would take me another two or three hours to explain what I just said to you. <laughs> that was exactly what I meant when I was talking about the videos that I put out. There's some videos that we can't put out until we reach a certain mass of energy holding the video to the place. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was a time when I would be murdered for what I'm saying on this planet right now. But I'm saying it now and, and I'm only being I'm being picked on, but I'm not but I'm not being killed because they can't kill me anymore. Because when you have a certain mass of information that's out there to the world, it becomes a thing. So when enough of us say there's enough people that know this knowledge now that we can count on to hold this knowledge in their positive mindset. Then we can bring the knowledge to all the people who might not believe it right away or might be doubtful. Do you understand? Or the easily led that they're already Jedi mind tricking and those people that are completely brainwashed. They will act as a buffer and a distraction to keep it from becoming real by exposing it as a, as a conspiracy theory, wild accusations and craziness and delete me so that nobody gets the information out. So we stay under the radar until we hit a plateau to where they can't take it down completely because there's too many of us that already have it and everybody starts distributing it out to the public. That was the way that it was put together back in the IRA days to get the information out to the world when the internet first hit. That's what we did. We took the information in, in undercover and spread it out to people before the world knew about it and hit a certain plateau of of people receiving the knowledge, reading the knowledge, and holding on to that knowledge. And then we went global with the information. And they couldn't take us down off the air because there was enough of us. They were passing that information from Ireland to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world then focused on Ireland and realized that Ireland was in trouble and they were trying to free themselves. And then eventually we funneled with money and people and everything they needed to make that happen. And then they freed themselves. But it took an effort from all of us to get the information out to the planet that they were stifling and had control of. And that's what we're doing here with, with the jibber-jabber and the, and the omni-cold omni and, and all of that stuff. We're doing the same thing. Those of you who know me, you know that because you've heard me talk about that and telling you these things in the background. Those of you who are in the coalitions, you already know that because some of you told me this. <laughs> okay. So that's why some information we keep away from you guys in the beginning, because if we throw it out there too fast, then it gets poo-pooed really quickly because they have the power and control because they control the masses. But if we get enough people that are like-minded to hold on to that information, that's how creation stays. Okay. There is no creation. Once it's created, someone has to focus on it and, and have memory of it to hold it in place. Do you understand? That's how the moon is there. The moon is not from here. The moon was manufactured because we needed it when Moldek blew up. So the moon was then towed into place and parked where it is in orbit and us seeing it because it's literally visible, except for on a new moon, but even then it's a full moon somewhere else. So it's visible to someone on this planet 24 hours a day. Therefore, our minds know it's there and we're holding it in place. We control the narrative. We have the power of creation. We got ourselves stuck. And then we convinced ourselves that we were, we were nobody and that we were just stuck. And somehow we got enough of that information out to the world, and that's the first temporal war. And we got stuck. But we freed ourselves from that, and there's been an intervention by the Jesus character 12 times. 
in the history of our planet, the last one that happened was called Jesus. And there was a reason that Jesus was named Jesus. And the story goes exactly the way it goes, because that has to do with the three, six, the nine, and the 12. Jesus had 12 apostles. Everything is cyclical, and it works if you look at a clock face. Not the clock face that's a digital clock, but an old-fashioned wheel uh, analog clock that has the two hands, the big hand and the little hand, and that's running around. You have 12 numbers, one for each hour in the day. Then, And the, our day happens to be 24 hours long, 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. That's 3 plus 3 equals 6. 6 plus 3 equals 9. 9 plus 3 equals 12. So that's the three energy utilizing the energy of the planet and then taking the energy of the planet and putting its intention into that energy to create. That becomes the God energy, the creation energy. Three plus three, my energy plus the energy of the space and time, which is also another three energy, becomes the six energy. The six energy is my energy interacting with the energy of the planet and space and time. And if you add an intention to that, that becomes the nine energy. The nine energy is the creation energy. It's the God energy, the hex boson for those of you who are, are in science. And then if you take that energy and you add your energy to it again, uh, it, well, everyone says, well, then it's got to be what? 12, 13, 14, 15? No. No. It becomes, it becomes one. It becomes 13. It becomes one. It becomes the center. That's the only time that the number doesn't add up with another three because it's cyclical at that point and it's diminishing and heading back down towards nothingness. Because the nine energy is the infinity energy that we, that we see as the figure eight. So in our mathematics, the eight and the nine characters are wrong in our math, and they're supposed to be one digit. And people don't understand that. And that's one of the reasons why we don't understand what's going on in the universe, because we count by multiples of 10, not by multiples of 12. Do you understand that? We're supposed to use multiples of 12. If you use multiples of 12, there are no fractals and no need for them. You only need fractals when you're counting by multiples of 10. Any of you who are out there who are mathematicians uh, or, or physicists, you exactly understand what I'm saying. And those of you who are not, I, it's, we're very, it's very weirding and it's very um, strange what I just said. And that's why we'd have a problem with understanding that we're in charge of the matrix because our math, our mathematics have been hijacked and the saying itself as above, so below is backwards as within we, we, it's supposed to be as below, so above. And it's even in the Bible. It's even in the, in the Christian Bible. There's a verse in there. I told you that was Matthew 18, I believe. Matthew 18. What you what you reap on the earth, I shall too reap in heaven. What you sow on the earth, I shall too sow in heaven. That doesn't mean as above, so below. That means as below, so above. What you do on earth, what your intentions are, I shall make so. Do you understand that? It's the most important line in the freaking Christian Bible you could ever read. Except for maybe never a lender or a borrower or a bee. <laughs> Right. Okay. So think about that now. So we have the power of creation. Therefore, we have the power to end ourselves from being stuck. And that knowledge is the knowledge that we need to get out of here. So Jesus did an intervention 12 times came down to earth to show 
he, you, we are all immortal to snap us out of this. And did it 12 times because it, because it was necessary to do it 12 times for it to take. Different places in the world at different times in the world. And you could track this. We've tracked it. Did all the same miracles that the one, the last one did Jesus. You can track this. It's in all the creation stories of every single race that's ever lived on this planet that we know of in this last cycle. Okay. So here you have that kind of corroboration without really saying it. Let's continue on with what she's saying here. I know I just said a lot, and it could all be conjecture in your mind if it doesn't resonate with you. Then you would just go, that's conjecture. You just you just put that there because you wanted it to be that. No, no, no. I don't want it to be that. I don't want us to be stuck. I don't want to think that we're a penal colony that we put in place ourselves and someone else took advantage of. I wouldn't try to say that. Do you see what I'm saying? But it appears that we got ourselves stuck and that was the design to do so. Everything is dependent on the Isbees who are already on Earth. The success of freeing them depends on the Isbees who are already on Earth. That suggests that we have the power of creation. The domain expeditionary force in this galaxy. So if Isbees on Earth are going to escape from this prison, it will have to be an inside job, so to speak. The inmates will have to figure out how to get themselves out. Various methods of recovering the memory and ability of the Isbees have been developed over the past 10,000 years on Earth, but none have proven to be consistently effective so far. Errol mentioned that the most significant breakthrough was made by Gautama Siddhartha about 2,500 years ago. However, the original teachings and... I'm going to write that down. I skipped over that last time and didn't notice that. I don't know who that person is, and I'm going to look that person up, right? And then talk about who the original teachings were as well. So give me a moment while I transpire and opine this person on paper. And for those of you who want to write that down and you're on the MP3 file podcast, let's give you those digits. G-A-U-T as in Tom, A, M as in Mary, A, first word. Second word, S as in Sam, I, D, D, H, A, R, T as in Tom, H, A. Okay, 2,500 years ago. Okay, so let's continue here, right? Techniques taught by the Buddha have been altered or lost over the millennia since then. The right, so so there's a lot of the, So those of you who are, you know, kudos to you guys. Those of you who have learned anything about the Buddha, looks like you might have a hand up. But she's saying that a lot of the techniques have been lost. That's just like we know that the, the Hindus, Right. And in the Hindis, they say the same thing. There's the knowledge of, of meditation to where you can communicate with aliens. And that if you use this meditation, you get yourself in a place of resonance that's high enough that you can communicate with alien races. And Dr. Stephen Greer proved that. 
got himself arrested and interrogated by the federal government of the United States over it. And then his entire team was assassinated by the um, United States government. This is my opinion, but they all got cancer and died except for him. He, he beat the cancer. Even his wife died. So everybody on his, on his team that was involved in this all got cancer and died. Weird, strange. For those of you who know anything about the United States government and their way of killing off people that they don't need anymore or are tired of is you get cancer. Every person who worked for Skunk Works, all the names you know, Lear, Lockheed, Martin, those actual men all died of cancer. And none of them smoked. Weird. Right? And they all came out and made videos telling about aliens and spaceships just before they died when they were dying of cancer. And if you go to Ancient Aliens Worldwide, the, the group on Facebook, which I created and still own, those are in the archives. Practical techniques of this philosophy were perverted into robotic religious rituals by priests as a self-serving instrument of control or slavery. However, another... And that's, that is exactly what happened. This is what I was alluding to when I said Raw came down here and they screwed things up. And because of that, they're staying to try and help. They came down and gave information and the priests and stuff got the information. And they were in service to self. They kept the information for themselves and didn't allow any of the citizens or the civilians or whatever you want to call them, any of the serfs, peasants, slaves to get any of that information. And they propped themselves up. And when the Luciferians got here and they, they fucked up Atlantis and screwed our planet up and flipped it over on its axis and killed themselves and most of the people on this planet, those who survived were the ones who took over the planet and they believe that they're in charge. And that's what she's alluding to as part of the problem because they took in charge of the Matrix and took over the planet and are keeping us and have been keeping us locked away in our own minds stuck in these bodies with no memory and every time we start to remember they bump us off mass extinction uh to get uh, you know wars to kill off millions of people uh and that way it can reset and they make sure they arrest and go after the people like myself who are uh, free thinkers or people who speak out against uh, uh tyranny and they bump us off first to get that memory the fuck off the planet as fast as possible Right, <laughs> Melissa says it's all fucking bullshit. Uh, in a sense, it is. It's all. It's, see, the problem is they created the doubt, and then they're then they're trying to sell everybody that you're you're a slave race created by the Anunnaki. The word Anunnaki was invented right around the time that she that she you know she hears this, and uh, and right then weird thing that Anunnaki that word was invented in the in like 1947 1948 when uh, Zachariah uh, uh translated wrongly translated the Dead Sea Scrolls which have been proven over and over again throughout time by historians uh, that understand the language that he was reading and that his, his misunderstanding of the word Anu, assuming that went, meant the god Anu, when it was actually a word that was Anuna, not Anu. He saw Anu and didn't, didn't see the rest of the word, and it was Anuna. Okay, so Anu would refer to a Greek word that was the God, Anu, that the Greeks also screwed up. But the word was Anuna. The word Anuna means, means royalty, means king or prince. So Anunnaki doesn't, doesn't read into translate into English as those from the heavens came to earth. It actually translates into, into uh, English as the prince or the king came to the city. Okay, so there weren't gods coming down from somewhere else and enslaving the people. It was the king or the prince who came to the city 
and took control of the city. Not someone from space, just a king or a prince. Okay. And she then later in life, because you have to remember 40 years later, she's talking to Errol and Errol throws in the Anunnaki word there because Anunnaki just popped up. Do you understand? That's why I stopped it there and said it's interesting that the word Anunnaki has been inserted here when we know now that that word doesn't actually exist in that form. It was a mistake. But people still are fighting against that. People in my industry, for, you know, us fringe scientists out here trying to figure out the world and what's going on with aliens, they're being brainwashed into believing the Anunnaki exist and that they're real. Enough people on this planet uh, believe that you're going to have people show up and claim they are the Anunnaki. And they're going to be the people, the very people who planted that in the past. It's going to be the, the expeditionary force that is the Orion Crusaders that are trying to take control of us. Why? Because if it's true, if it's not true that the people here came from the 11th and, and down, if it is true, they would want to have control of those people for certain because they're royalty. But even if that's not true and they just hijacked us, that's because they understand how the matrix works and they're using that to hijack us and enslave us. Either way, we're only stuck as long as we believe we are. Errol said that. That's why she said that comment that I stopped and said, why did she say that? Because the only way that people are going to be freed from Earth, and she just said it, it has to be an inside job. We have to free ourselves. We are the Savior we are waiting for. You are the Savior you are waiting for. The only way you're getting off this rock is to understand that you're only stuck here because you want to be. Because if you don't want to be, you're going to say, wait a minute, I'm not a slave. I'm not stuck here. You can't hold me. And they can't. Okay, so this is another reason why a lot of this information we didn't bring out to the mass population as quickly as now all of a sudden we're rolling this stuff out. Not just me, but everybody's rolling the stuff out about about the logos and the creation and royalty. Why is that all coming out now? Not 20 years ago, not 50 years ago, not a thousand years ago, well, because we couldn't. We had to change tactics after we realized that every time we tried to do that on a mass scale, they would come and murder all of us. So we changed our tactics and we stayed underground to hand information over, even if it took generation after generation. Who do you think invented the Druid way of thinking? Which the Chinese follow. Most people follow the Druidic thought process of longevity. Those people who do that take control of a thing over time. The Druidic way of thinking, the Celtic way of thinking, is over time. The slow hand, the thousand slashes, and that has gotten into the world. The Arabs, that's one of their proverbs. We'll beat you with a thousand slashes. We may not be able to, to kill you with one blow, but we're slowly going to disintegrate your body with a thousand slashes, and eventually all of that will add up and you'll drop dead. That's what they believe. That's the same thing. The Druid symbol is the infinity symbol going on forever into the future. Do you understand? And it's not just those people that's gotten worldwide, and there's been an attempt to make that thought process worldwide by a group of people, one of which you're hearing speak to you now, some of which are in this crowd listening to me say this. Okay? But we can't, we could not expose ourselves. When we did, I know that didn't come out right, but when we did expose ourselves in the past, we were immediately 
cacked off. They immediately took us out, whacked us. And they did that every time that that came up until we changed a thing. We adapted to them adapting to us. We changed a thing. And what you guys don't realize is that the intervention that Jesus did doesn't happen very often on this planet or on in the universe. Doesn't happen that often in this universe. So the universal mind is watching us to see what's going to happen here. So not only are we rock stars and royalty physically, but spiritually as well. We took on a task that was way bigger than we ever thought. We tried to think that we could do what Jesus did to sacrifice himself. And Jesus had to come back and show you that sacrificial lamb over and over again to get you to understand that we couldn't do it without intervention. We needed to understand our true nature and power to get ourselves unstuck. And that's what that's about. So that's why the last one was, was, was the 12th one, right? And that's why the 12th one was named Jesus. Because that name, that entity, is the name of the Milky Way galaxy and the mind of the Milky Way galaxy. That's what I'm told. Okay? So let's continue and see what else she has to say here. So she's not... Giving an untruth, Errol mentioned that most, I'm reading now, that most significant breakthrough was made by that person, right? The Buddha information uh, is altered or lost the over the millennia since then, right? The practical technique of his philosophy. Another major advance occurred recently. An acquaintance of the commanding officer of the Domain Expeditionary Force Space Station is an ISB who had once been an important engineer and officer in the old Empire Space Fleet. He became an untouchable himself about 10,000 years ago and was sentenced to Earth for leading a mutiny against the oppressive regime of the old Empire. The engineer was trained in advanced scientific improvisation theory thousands of years ago. This man has applied his expertise to helping the domain solve the apparently unsolvable problem of rescuing the members of the Lost Battalion as well as the Isbys on Earth. Careful observation and experimental analysis of the mechanics of memory in Isbys by he and his wife who assisted him led to the realization that Isbys can recover from amnesia and also regain lost abilities. Together they discovered and developed effective methods that they used to rehabilitate their own memories. They eventually codified their methods so that others can safely be trained to apply them to themselves and others without detection by the old empire thought control operators. Their research also... Which is what I just explained to you that we did. Do you understand that? That which we did, we changed the thing with this help to do things under the radar and get the information out. So I just explained to you what she just said. Do you understand that? I was going to wait and do it, but I got ahead of myself. I usually do that. If you guys know me from the law of one, you know that I sometimes I tell, I explain something before the, it needs to be explained <laughs> instead of waiting for it. And then when I get done, I hit play and realize that I just told, was telling you guys, but that works either way, right? You hear it from me, then you hear it from them. And then I stop it again and go, I just told you that. Or I let it play. Then I stop and say everything that I said, right? So it's it hit or miss on just my brain and how it works. Okay. So that's what we did. We changed the thing 
to keep information under the radar so that we could then wake people up. And once we get to a certain point, they can't take that from us. And we know that. So we know that there's a seminal point to everything. Okay. Those of you who know me and been talking about the jibber jabber and everything that's going on and how the media keeps telling us how bad everything is getting, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you have me telling you, no, it's not. You just don't know. Give it a little bit of time. It's going to get better. This is all going away very rapidly. And uh, people are going scared. They don't know what to do. And they're listening to me. And you have been. Some of you have been listening to me for a couple of years. Some of you have been only, you know, only listening to me for a few months. But now all of a sudden, what the information that we give you today Right. The European Union uh, uh, over there is no longer in control by the by the German chancellor. So therefore, you have England and the UK have ended their lockdowns. The United States has, uh, uh, is basically the, the doctors here in the state of California have announced from uh, from over here in San Francisco that this pandemic is no longer a pandemic. It's an endemic, which means that they're admitting that the uh, that both all the viruses are now only flu viruses and cold viruses. So the whole thing's going. They're on, yeah, Melissa, Melissa says, on the ropes. So they know that, and they also got scared when the Republicans started uh, uh, using uh, uh, COVID and attacking the, everybody in the, in, the, you know, in the Democratic Party on their uh, uh, messing up uh, and going to use that for the midterms, which is coming up in October of this year. And they're like, no, we have to have COVID has to be over by then, because if it's not, they're going to use it, they're going to run on it, and they're going to win. So oh, COVID's going away fast. It's gone. It's over. Right. The free states were already free. There was already 28 states in this country that never did a lockdown. And then a bunch more who were already opened. The only people who are still locked down are the strongholds, the last ditch efforts, the last forts of these people's uh, uh, power. California, New York and a few other places. Not many. Right. The governor of, uh, of Oregon. Right. There's a few states that are still in a hurry to keep everybody locked down as long as they can. Pennsylvania is another one. Right. But even old Michigan, even old Michigan is changing. And I thank you guys in Michigan for listening to my podcast because you guys rock. You guys listen to my podcast a lot. So I'm finding out that people that are in these lockdown states are more interested in my podcast than the people who are in free states because for them, it's not happening. And they're like, God, there's no COVID here. I don't know what this guy's talking about. We got nothing. I'm finding that out. I track that. And all you guys that are in these states that are locked down, I'm getting to you. You guys are listening to me, so thank you for that because you're helping change all of this stuff. So let's continue with what she has to say here. Revealed that ISBs can occupy and operate more than one body at the same time, a fact that previously was thought to be uniquely limited to officers of the domain. See, okay, so that's important too because uh, when uh, people talk about that, you know, when you go to sleep sometimes, all of a sudden you're in another place, but you're in another body and it's weird. Right. And I know that people that do a lot of hallucinogens have this. I was just watching a Joe, the Joe Rogan um, project, his podcast the other day from an episode where he was talking about DMTs and uh, ayahuasca or ayahuasca. And um, they did. They had a guy do I think it was DMT on air. Right. And he was out for like 10 minutes and they continued the podcast. And when he woke up, he was very confused. Right. And in 10 minutes and it's over, he woke up, he was confused, he was angry, he was fighting them uh, because he was groggy. And he uh, was, you know, afterwards they talked to him and said, why, what's going on? And he said, how long was I out? And they said, 10 minutes, that's all it lasts. You know that. He said, I just lived an entire month in another body, in another place where I had family and everything, job, house, the whole nines. And so I thought this was a dream, a nightmare, because he would, he was in that for a whole month, he thought that was his reality. He forgot about this reality 
until he was jerked back into it by the drug that was now ending, that was allowing him to be wherever that was. And now you hear Errol saying it is possible that some of us are in more than one body here. Do you understand that? So am I in this body and other bodies alive on this earth now, or am I in this body and all the other lives that I had on earth in the past and in the future? I would suggest that's the case. Because the past, the present, and the future is only separated in this linear fashion in the third density. So my occupation of a human body 100 years ago is now for the entire universe. My occupation of my body now is now for the entire universe. My occupation of a body 100 years from now is now to the entire universe. So it would only stand to reason that my soul would occupy hundreds, if not thousands or millions of bodies in the universe. Because on a grand enough scale, we are all one anyways. So it's not surprising to me when she says, wow, it's surprising that we found that it's possible. We thought only captains of ships. So they thought only their certain rank allowed it. There, there again, that's like saying we have to have the federal government of the United States of America to finally admit there's UFOs for there to be UFOs on this world or that there's aliens in the universe. That without their approval, they don't exist. She's saying the same thing. Well, there's no way that they could exist unless they were royalty like us because they have stations. Nobody is different in a station than anyone else. We are all 100% the same. And the fact that Errol said that and was surprised when she realized that shows that she's station-oriented. That means she's in service to self because people who are in service to others don't look up or down at anyone. They look at everybody the same. That's right. Melissa says, I didn't need anyone's permission to exist. It's correct. Because you do exist because you were created by the creator because you are, in fact, that creator. And you're pretending that you're separate from the creator so that you can pretend that you're in this body so that you can see what mortal life is like and experience it in every possible way and guise that can be imagined. But we got ourselves stuck, and then that construct that we created that is the ego, that is the evil force, held on to that and learned that they can control us there. And they're doing that, pure and simple. So for us to get out, we have to convince enough people on this planet that they're not, in fact, in a prison, nor are they stuck that they've done this to themselves and they choose to be, you, you are your jailer. Otherwise, they just come down here. Now, why is it that they don't just come down here and forcibly take their people out of here and then free them? Why don't they do that? There's only one reason why they can't do that. Only one. And she said it in that same sentence. Because it all depends on the people that are already on Earth. That suggests we have free will. Do you understand that? So the people that got caught here are stuck here because we're holding this beach. Even if only by proxy. 
the idea that we're slaves were was given to us by the powers that should not be, and they eradicated the memory that or possibility thereof of us getting that memory that would suggest otherwise. And they did that successfully for a very, very long time until those of us learned that we could fix this through the long game with numbers. And we had to spread out the information to the world. So the Irish people, you can look this up. There's a book called How Ireland Saved the World or Saved the, How Ireland Saved the History. The Irish monks stole every book that you have that is dated from 1915 on back. Every piece of literature that is on this planet exists on this planet today purely because the Irish monks stole them from the powers that be who were burning all the books and eradicating all of history and wiping out any killing anyone who knew anything about it. And they hid the books away and they, they hired scribes to become monks and taught scribes to become uh, or monks to become scribes and had them rewrite the, the books, copy them word for word, letter for letter. And when they copied all the books and got enough copies, they said to, to you know, one of the disciples, one of the scribes, your job is to now go to Germany and open a church. And you're going to do the same thing and you're going to hire scribes and you're going to indoctrinate them in the church and you're going to copy these books. And then you're going to have you're going to send them out to different cities in Germany to to convert these people and copy all these books and get them back out there into the libraries of the world. And they did that underground until they had enough to where they could populate the earth. And that's you can read the book that happened in real life. Those were the Druids who understood the long game. And put that information and made sure that you had the Druids in the past who were called something different, who buried scrolls and did the same thing in the past. We had to do it in the past. We had to do it in the present. And we had to do it in the future to make this work. We had to rewrite the beginning from the way they rewrote it when they hijacked it. And now we're on the precipice of that seminal effect. So because of that, they're pushing back harder than you could possibly imagine, although you're seeing it play out with this last-ditch effort to take total control of the earth. And it's failed. It failed when the first time Jesus returned. It was already done. That was like 150,000 years ago. And every now and then, Jesus returned and did the same thing again for another group of people to play his part in time, past, present, and future. Do you understand that? You can look this stuff up. You don't have to believe anything that I'm saying to you. In fact, I challenge you to do that. Don't believe in a word that I'm telling you and go on your own and go down your own rabbit holes. Because what will happen is when you get down to the bottom of that rabbit hole, I'll be sitting down there with my feet up on the coffee table, smoking a cigar, drinking a drink, going, what do you want to eat, chicken or ribs? <laughs> oh, and welcome, by the way. <laughs> right? And you'll look around and there'll be all these other people that you knew from time that did the same thing. And they're welcome. You made it to the to the bottom of the congratulations. You've finished uh, everything. And, now you know what's really going on. Let's continue and see what else she has to say here. One example of this fact is that the engineer in a previous lifetime on Earth 
was Suleiman the Magnificent. His assistant was a harem girl who rose up from slavery to become his wife and rule the Ottoman Empire with him. Simultaneously, she inhabited another body and ruled her own empire as Queen Elizabeth. As the Queen of England, she never married because she was already married to the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. In a later life, he was incarnated as Cecil Rhodes. During his life as Rhodes, she was again a princess, this time from Poland. As such, she pursued Rhodes unsuccessfully toward the end of his life. However, in their next incarnation, they met again, were married, had a family, and again worked together successfully all of their lives. Several other notable examples of this phenomena were observed. For example, the process of refining steel was invented by the same Isby who inhabited two bodies simultaneously. One was named Kelly, who lived in Kentucky, and the other was a man named Bessemer, who lived in England. They both conceived the same process at the same time. Another example is Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, which was invented by several others at the same time, including Elijah Gray. The telephone was conceived concurrently in several locations around the world all at once. This was a single isby of such tremendous energy and ability that he was able to operate several bodies in several different locations while conducting complex research work. Thanks to these revelations, the domain has been able to return some of ISBEs of the Lost Battalion to active duty on a limited part-time basis. For example, two young girls who occupy biological bodies on Earth now are at the same time working as active members of the Domain Expeditionary Force on the asteroid space station as operators of a communication switchboard. These operators relay messages between the Domain Expeditionary Force and the Domain Command Headquarters. Recently, I myself have been able to resume some of my own duties for the Domain Expeditionary Force while continuing to live on Earth. This is not an easy task, however. And See, now, so think about all this, right? So if that's the case, again, that would suggest that your spirit, your is be, your immortal being, is not just stuck on this earth. Do you understand that? See, that's, again, here's another telling thing. I know we're trying to get to the end of this, and, and we may or may not get to the end of this today, right? But there's another telling thing. First of all, there is no proof that what she's saying is true. However, if it is that way, which it appears to be, because that's part of the way we change things. Certain things popped up in more than one place that was revolutionary that would advance and help advance the, the human race in a way that would also rise their vibration and give them uh, an, another avenue for creation, which ultimately led to the Internet, which ultimately led to this. Do you understand? Which ultimately led to what we're doing. Small things, long time ago, many different places all at once to ensure that the information got to enough people that it would be held on the earth and, and saw as something that was needed before they could stifle it. And it didn't look like it was anything at the time. Trojan horse. Do you understand? So you don't just occupy this body. And I never even got into the whole, the whole thing of where's your actual spirit uh, anchored to. Right? Your spirit is always anchored to the sixth, and then it's anchored above that. But we're not exactly sure. I hear tell it's the eighth. Some people say it's the eleventh. 
Okay. But no one really knows because there's not a lot of information coming from once the people leave the seventh to go to the eighth. From the eighth on up, there's there's not very much information that comes back. That's a completely different puzzle. It's a completely different octave that starts there. So the lower there's a lower half octave, which is us that starts from zero to to uh, halfway through the sixth, and then the, and then that goes uh, you know to the seventh and transition to the eighth. Once you do that, you you can't be evil and halfway through the sixth you have to transition back to only being in service to others for those last last two and when you are the last one uh you know from the, the the rest of the sixth and the seventh or one and a half and then you go to the eighth and that is a whole new story that's the bottom tier of the next level of octaves i'm told okay but we're not just here in this body in this stuck place and we're not just in charge of this body so the truth is we embody enough power from outside this place that if we were actually in a penal colony that was being done by people nefariously against the laws of the universe, we would put a stop to it. The fact that it hasn't been done that way and that we're left to our own devices to get out of here means that this entire thing is an experience that we want to have. Do you understand that? It's an experience that we want to have or it would have already been ended by the powers that be. So the powers that be want this to happen as well. Maybe they didn't want it to happen from the beginning, and now they're sitting back on, well, let's watch what it's gonna, what's going to happen. What's the outcome? Are we going to have to stop the whole uh, experience and save them, or are they going to get themselves out? We're the soap opera of the day. The entire universe is watching us to see what we're going to do. We're freaking stars. We're rock stars. They're tuning in to planet Earth to see what the what the humans are doing and how they're getting unstuck. That's why people keep coming down here and want our DNA. That's why people come down here and want to want to work on us and figure us all out because we're freaking royalty and everybody wants to know what we're going to do to unstick ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves. We chose this. Can only be done while my biological body is sleeping. It makes me very, very happy to know that we may not have to stay on Earth forever. There okay, hold on. Let me back that up because I cut her off, right? This is not talking about uh, with conditions to live on Earth, right? So let me start at the, the right here. I, I myself have been able to resume some of my own duties of the Domain Expeditionary Force while continuing to live on Earth. This is not an easy task, however and can only be done while my biological body is sleeping. Remember I said that earlier about when you go to sleep and you find yourself in another place? Do you understand? This is the dream. This is the dream world, but we believe it's not. It makes me very, very happy to know that we may not have to stay on Earth forever. There is hope for our escape, not just for the Lost Battalion, but for many other Isbies on Earth. There is hope of escape, not just for the Lost Battalion, but for many other Isbies on Earth. However, all Isbies could be helped to become more aware of the actual situation on Earth through the information in this envelope. This is why I sent these letters and transcripts to you. I want you to get these documents published. I want Isbies on Earth to have a chance to find out what is really happening on Earth. Most Disbies will not believe any of it, I'm sure. It seems too incredible. No reasonable person would ever believe a word of it. However, it only seems incredible to an Isby whose memory has been erased and replaced with false 
information inside the electronically controlled illusion of a prison planet. We must not allow the apparent incredibility of our situation to prevent us from confronting the reality of it. Frankly, reasons have... Again, she has to portray that, must not allow the, the apparent inc incredibility of our situation to prevent us from confronting the reality of it. So she's, but see, again, she has to say this here because otherwise she has to admit there's a higher power. So if coming from the perspective of, I don't believe in a, in a creation or God, right? You have to then say, well, you must be in a prison then because you wouldn't choose this. The universe wouldn't allow this just out of nature. There'd be no reason for this. No one just imprisons themselves. No one does that. So therefore, it's not logical. It doesn't, it doesn't work for them. It doesn't pan out in their mathematics, right? And then you could say, if you're of that mindset, the only reason that you're thinking what you're thinking is because you want it to be a religious aspect or you want it to be a higher power. And that's what your influence is. No, not at all. People say to me all the time, what, what gives you the right to have, a, you know, to create an ancient aliens, uh, a, you know, group on uh, Facebook, right? You just go after that stuff because you're trying to prove aliens are real. No. Anyone who knows me knows that I don't believe anything anyone sends me. And every time somebody sends me a picture, what's this? I'm like, yeah, it's light reflecting off the, the, the you know, or yeah, it could be a meteor or this is a, because I'm not trying to go. That's a UFO. I'm not looking at it from the eyes of a person who wants that to be a UFO. I'm looking at it through the eyes of a scientist who's trying to clinically go through scientifically and look at something and say, what are the possible things that could happen in nature that would make this be this? And if you can't find anything in nature that could make that be that, that's when it becomes compelling. So everything I try to disprove, and anyone who knows me knows that I tried to disprove Errol as even being an alien before the, you, you would know that, but I didn't tell you that when I was on air. I went through that process of vetting and going with what I know, what I've been told by other people, and, and seeing if she hit those triggers. Okay? Like I did the Law of One and read the Law of One. The reason I did that was I had never read the Law of One, and I was writing a book called The Way, which I find out that there's an Asian man by the name of, of Lao Chi who wrote a book called The Way in 604 BCE. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't need to write that. But then again, like, like Miguel Pena said, yeah, but this is my version of the same book, which it is truly, because every story that could be possibly told has already been told just here on Earth. Because we've been on this planet for, you know, at least that I am aware of now, 250,000 years. Because they just found a skull that they carbon dated that is a homo sapien sapien that's, that it was in a lava uh, thing, a lava field over in Denmark. And it was 230,000 years old. So we humans have been on this earth for a minimum of that because we can prove it now. I remember 20 years ago, 40 years ago. The scientific community, especially 40 years ago, didn't think we were more than 5,000 years old. That the Sphinx was only built 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, and the pyramids were built 2,000 years ago. Now they think the Sphinx was built 130,000 years ago. See, and there's, there's Miguel now. And I'm going to put that up on the screen and read that to you on the MP3 file so you can read what I'm saying there. He says, and I quote, yep, each life is your version of the quantum multiverse. Do you understand? From your perspective as well, right, Mike? From there, from each one of us's perspective on our own. 
and more are made each day. Melissa said, absolutely. So we need to understand that we're all experiencing this from our own perspective. And from our collective perspective, this universe started here. Now, we don't know if that's just because our, our perspective shows that and if we got out there and we're oriented to the universe itself and then looked at things from not from our perspective, but from another per perspective to see if it's a perspective or if it's just something that we think happens. I think that in, in truth, as the universe uh, goes backwards and collapses on itself, you're going to find that, uh, that that's true throughout the entire universe. And, you know, that's really hard for people to believe. But I believe that the Big Bang started in a central point and from every single person's perspective, because their perspective goes back to the first explosion of the universe being created, that you, everyone is the creator and every place is where the creation started. Just because we're expanding outward doesn't mean anything. My lungs do that. My heart does that. Do you understand? I inhale. I exhale. I just created. Do you understand that? I take in the oxygen, I expel carbon, which other plants, uh, all plants breathe in and expel oxygen for me to breathe. It's symbiotic. It's an ecosystem. So I believe that everything affects everything. And if you crunch everything back down onto itself, the, the entire side of the other side of the universe will be in this point because we'll be in the same place at the same time. So we started in the same place at the same time. We're going to end up in the same place at the same time because everything in the universe is cyclical. Nothing goes outward forever. Nothing. Not even the universe itself. It'll stop at one point. It'll turn over. It'll come back into itself. It'll implode to the one and then explode again into something anew. The universe will work that way because the universe does work that way because everything in the universe mathematically is cyclical and works that way. That's the laws of the universe, hence the law of one. Do you understand? You guys can look that up. It's physics. And, it, and that one even works with the multiples of 10. <laughs> it works easier with the multiples of 12, but it works with the multiples of 10. Let's continue. Nothing to do with reality. There are no reasons. Things are what they are. If we don't face the facts of our situation, we're going to stay under the thumb of the old empire forever. The biggest weapon the old empire has left now is our ignorance of what they were doing to all the Isbees on Earth. This and I also want to express this to you. Okay. Think about what she's saying. And when she, whenever she says the old empire, insert the old way of thinking. Do you understand that? Just insert the old way of thinking. Not an evil empire that's flying around in spaceships that built machines, but a philosophical way of thinking, a thought. And changing your mind and changing a lot more than just your mind by changing that thought. From the old way of thinking to the new way of thinking. The old way of thinking is that you're stuck. The old empire. What if we're the old empire? What if all of this is an exercise in our head? What if we're in our head? What if we're in the mind of the creator 
and we are pretending to be stuck. That's the old way of thinking. We created a scenario, put ourselves in it, and we're stuck. Now we have to get out of that being stuck. How can we do that? We have to change our minds. We're no longer stuck. It has to happen from within. Do you understand what she's saying in here? She's telling you that if the inmates, it has to be, you have to, we have to, the people of earth have to go within themselves and change themselves to become unstuck. Does this sound familiar to you? And this is what she's saying. This is the underlining message that she's been explaining since chapter 13. The only way we're getting out of here is if the humans that are already on Earth decide they're no longer stuck. Why? Because we put ourselves into this. This, this was our experiment in self-rule. Why? Because we hadn't done it yet. This is what the Andromedans claim. The Andromedans are not part of her coalition. So we have multiple peoples from multiple ways of life, from multiple coalitions, good and evil, and they're telling us the exact same story. Why would they do that? Why would they hint that the story is at what we already know? You need to look within yourself and change you. The old empire is your way of thinking. Freedom is there for you to grasp. Do you see? Do you remember what Lao Chi said? He who reaches for it, he who grasps it, grasps for it, will not reach it. He who seeks it will not find it. Because it is within you. That's my words answering what he was saying. He said the house that you build is impressive, but what's inside that is most impressive and only useful. When you build a vase or a drinking vase that holds water, it's impressive, but what's important is what's inside. He was saying, you're that vessel. Jesus said the same thing. He called it the temple. I will destroy the temple. I will raise the temple to the ground and rise it up again in three days. He was talking about his body. And he did just that. You have to look within yourself and change your thinking from the old way of thinking, the old empire and what they thought and the freedom of the rebellion is what you think. Do you understand? And she's giving us that in here as well. Everything that they talked about in the Law of One was that. Everything that they talk about in all the Gnostic Gospels is that. Everything they talk about in all the Bibles of this planet is that. Everything they talk about in all the creation stories throughout time that the Irish were able to hide away and those Druids back 2,500 years ago were able to hide away the information or whenever it was that they put the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Dead Sea for us to find in the future. Weird that, I say that laughingly, weird that all of that information only came to light in the last 70 years. I say that laughingly, knowingly, he winks. That was part of the plan. Don't you remember? Even in the Christian Bible, 
These things that you are to write down will be locked up in even your memory, and you will not understand them until a time in the future for a race of people who will be alive then. Why? Because the information had to be put into the past so that it could trickle forward in time from many different directions, from many different places, from many different peoples, so that it came to a central point of conversation now. Everything that has happened that has brought the knowledge to me, to you, to the universe, to the world has been put in place thousands of years ago to manifest in this place at this time to you, me, and this population. On purpose, an effort by millions and billions of souls working in unison across the face of this planet for eons. Think about that. Belief and secrecy are the most effective weapons they have. The government agencies that classified the enclosed transcripts as top secret are run by ISBEs who are nothing more than mindless automations covertly ordered through the hypnotic commands given by the old empire prison operators. They are the unknowing slaves of unseen slave masters and all weak-minded sleeping people that are easily Jedi mind tricked. All the more enslaved by their willingness to be slaves. Most of the Isbies on Earth are good, honest, able beings, artists, managers, geniuses, free thinkers, and revolutionaries who have harmed no one, really. They are no threat to anyone except the criminals who have imprisoned them. They must find out about the old empire amnesia and hypnosis operation. They must remember their own past lives. The only way this will ever happen is to communicate, coordinate, and fight back. We have to tell other people, and they have to discuss it openly with each other. Communication is the only effective weapon against secrecy and oppression. This is why I'm asking you to tell this story. Please share these transcripts with as many people as you can. If the people of Earth are told what is really going on here, perhaps they will begin to remember who they are and where they came from. For now, we can begin our own release and rescue with words. We can be free again. We can be ourselves again. Perhaps I will meet you in person, with or without a body, somewhere in our eternal future. Good luck to all of us. Matilda O'Donnell McElroy. End of Mrs. McElroy documents. Okay. So there we have it. Just the credits rolling now. All right, so we'll stop that there. All right, so guys, think about all of that that was just said. So how many times have you heard that last part where people are saying what they're saying over and over? She said that before she died, and the information that she was giving was also part of the plan to get out to the people. Do you understand? So it's taken an effort of a lot of us fighting and, and hiding this information in little teeny places and planting the seeds of this information in little teeny places so that we can affect the mass consciousness of this earth slowly over time because it has to happen in the past, the present, and the future all at once. So we had to plan it in the past just like they were doing. 
They planted it all in the past to change everything, and they got everybody caught. We realized that, and we started trying to do that and wake everybody up, and they kept killing us off. So we learned that we had to hide it in plain sight. And that's what we did. And it's right there. You guys just have to choose it. Do you see? I can give you the tools. I just have handed them to you. I do that on a daily basis, a nightly basis. Anybody who speaks to me knows that I do it over and over and over and over. I will continue doing that no matter how many times I have to tell you the same story a different way. I will do it for the rest of my days. I will do it until I no longer can. In some form or another, I will continue to do this, just like everyone else, until everyone remembers who they are. Which will happen? Well, I'll, everyone will choose it at some point. When each of you are ready to do so, you will do so. When you get tired of being stuck, you'll fix yourself. You've tried, and they keep trying to keep you stuck. So there's enough of us down here now that have changed the vibration of this planet long ago, and we're just now getting everybody's minds to understand what we've been trying to tell you all along. It's taken a long time, but it was planted that way on purpose because everybody had to choose it freely because we came here with free will and free intentions. So you had to choose it freely. So both sides had the ability to do that, and, he, and both sides did that, and that, has, that was supposed to happen that way. This is what this is designed to do. Do you understand? This experiment that we're doing or these experiences are necessary for the growth of us. It's a child's playpen designed to keep children safe until they learn how to walk, crawl, walk, run, whatever, and then grow up. It's designed to keep you safe. And that's why you move out of your parents' house. You grow up, you get tired of that control. You get tired of the parents telling you what to do. I'm considered an adult now because I have graduated into that, that place of my age, which says I can take my own decisions for myself. You get tired of living under your parents' rule, and you move out on your own. You free yourself from that prison. Same thing happens when you're in the playpen itself. You're in there, stuck there by your parents under their control to keep you safe until they can allow you to be out and about and not have to watch you 25 freaking seconds out of every second. But they still put you in another walker that you can't hurt yourself with. You can run around and bang into things, but you can't get hurt. Can't fall down, hit your head, and they let you play. Bing, bing, like a like a pinball machine. You're bouncing off of everything, but you know you're alive. And before that, they put you in the one that strengthens your legs, this little, little bouncy thing, and you're bouncing around having fun and learning and gaining strength and growing. That's no different than what's happening here to us as a race. It's just the next step in the evolutionary scale of adulthood. Do you understand? And we've become complacent again with being stuck. We created chaos to keep pushing us forward and not get stuck, to get unstuck. But then some portions of that are trying to fight against it. That's normal and it's supposed to be this way. It's not scary. Once you realize what's happening, you have no fear anymore you then know what's happening well this is the design this is what i signed on for was this we descended into the hell that is earth on purpose we were doing this to honor ourselves and prove to the world to the universe maybe that we could be like jesus we didn't realize 
how bad that really was till we got here and Jesus had to come and show us how he did it over and over to show us it's possible to free yourselves. I'll show you how I did it. Okay. And that's, and that's people say, well, you know, you got to keep Christianity out of it because I'm not Christian. If you are saying that or thinking that because I used the word Jesus, he's the last one. He's just the last one. His name is just the guys he took on in the last one to show us his true name. He did that in all your religions. A guy who showed up who is one of your saviors was the soul that was in the body occupying Jesus. You just don't know that. <laughs> okay? So I don't care what religion you are, whoever you have as your savior character is the Jesus character in a different name. That's all. I'm not claiming that Jesus and Christianity is the top dog. They're all the same person. They're all the same thing being told over and over and over in different places and time for the people that were there at the time for you guys to all understand. Because there's so many religions, there has to be that many Jesuses. Do you understand? There has to be the Savior character in every religion because the religion was created and corrupted. But for those people who are following that religion, in their backstory was a creator. Different name, same creation. Different religion, same outcome. Do you understand? Point A, point B, every religion has those and they're identical. The in-between shit is just different things that people made up because of the belief system that they had designed for their little clique, their city, state, their nation, whatever it is. Town, township, only maybe one church. Do you understand? Their children's nursery rhymes. All of them. And you're supposed to figure that out by learning that and then realizing that they are children's nursery rhymes. But they're serious. And in that children's nursery rhyme, because everything is all, that it's not only the children's nursery rhyme, but the most important knowledge you will ever ascertain in your life. And nothing whatsoever. Do you understand that? When you understand that, when you actually understand what I just said, you'll understand the universe, how and why it is. That it is nothing, it is something, it is everything. And we put that in plain sight for you to see. There was a scene in the movie Kingdom of Heaven when Balian came out to talk to um, Sahaladin about the surrender of Jerusalem. And he said to, after he surrendered Jerusalem to Sahaladin, he said, what is Jerusalem worth? So Haladin looked at him and said, nothing. Turned around. He took about three steps. He turned back around. He smiled. And he put his both hands up like this. The orborus, the snake, facing each other. And he said, everything. And he smiled. And he turned around. And he almost skipped in his step as he knew he had gotten Jerusalem. Which proverbially on this planet is where it all started. Ideologically, ideologically, religiously, spiritually, it's where it all started. So it's worth nothing but everything. Do you understand? This planet is worth nothing but everything. You are worth nothing, but you are, and you're worth everything. Because you are nothing and something and everything all at once. That's the secret to the universe. That's the key and the door, my friends. Okay, 
Have a great night. <laughs> I'll see you guys next week. We're done with Alien Interview from Roswell, but I I, brought, I wanted to make sure that I showed you that because here you have an off-world person coming down and telling you this, and you have this change within that person, also within Matilda, and at the end, she is handwriting this note talking about what's going on and basically gives you the same wisdom that was taught from Lao Chi in 604 BCE, from Jesus in 31 AD or 30 AD, and then the stories that were written, you know, 100 to 400 years after that. I speak of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. And that all the gospels that were taken out of the, uh, out of the Bible, because it taught the narrative wasn't what they wanted at the time. Remember, it was the Council of Nicaea, right? So it was Constantine, right, who did that. Constantine had just converted, and he wanted everybody to be, he converted to Christianity, and he wanted everybody to be Christian. So he took the, all the Bibles and put them together and only drove the narrative that they wanted to be painted for everybody to believe because they were trying to recruit and, and uh, basically get Jews and Romans uh, who, uh, you know, the Romans had many gods and the Jews had one male god. How do you fix that? So there's a claim that some Romans invented the Jesus character. That doesn't matter. Because it was still the same Savior character that was from every single philosophical and religious thought from the entire history of the world. So if they recreated a fabrication and it was a lie, it doesn't matter. Because it still is what the creation story was telling. They just gave it a new name for a new person. Say they did invent it. It then becomes a thing because we all believe it. But you see? So if Jesus was a complete construct, it was based on all the other constructs that were already out there that were the creation story of every single race on this planet. And if Jesus is faked, it doesn't matter because Jesus became a thing when now there's two and a half billion, three billion people on this planet who believe Jesus was alive and lived. Therefore, Jesus was alive and lived. Do you understand that? Because they created Jesus now, right? So that's why I always use that, why it was an Englishman, but I don't know who, what, who his name was. I just was told it was a wise Englishman who said, if God didn't exist, we would invent one. That's true. There is a truism to that. What we believe to be real becomes reality. What you sow on the earth, I shall too sow in heaven. What you reap on the earth, I shall too reap in heaven. Therefore, what we believe to be reality or perceive reality becomes reality. That was the hijack. There's the rub. That was the hijack in the matrix. They can get you to believe the devil doesn't exist. The devil won't. But the devil does exist behind the scenes. And the devil's trying to get you to believe that you don't exist. Do you understand that? That's your ego. That's all that is, is the ego that we created. It's not real. It's not real. It's just the ego. It's the mind telling you there is a devil. We invented it. And then when we created AI, all of a sudden the devil in our minds hijacked the AI. And now we're fighting against what? The AI God that just in, it popped up in 1996. There was no AI God. No one had a concept that the devil was an AI God that was an evil AI entity until we created AI. And then it took on that personification. Why? Because we had movies that we were telling ourselves the aliens are taking control. The, the computers are taking control. Right? We also had movies talking about zombies. And now everybody's worried that the, that the jibber-jabber is going to turn people into zombies. If people believe that, you're going to have walking zombies walking around. 
because we have that power. We. What all of us collectively think becomes so. So if I want to take control of this planet, I teach you that you're a slave and I'm your slave master. You'll believe it. If you believe it, that happens. I take control of you. Evil people do that. That's what they're motivated for and by. Is that power and control? So you, the only way that you can fight against that is to say, well, uh, no. <laughs> no. Simple word. Smallest word in the English language. No. But it's the most powerful. It's almost as, as powerful as love. But there is nothing more powerful than love. So there can't be anything near it. Right? Know that. So don't fear what's happening to you. Celebrate it. You're going through an experience that quite possibly maybe no one has ever gone through except for those of us that are here. Not like this. Right? But even if it's not, and it has happened, for what I understand, it has happened. It doesn't happen that often. So we got ourselves in a good fix. Okay? And we did that. So the fallen angels, right? That's us. It's the people that are indigenous here. But they weren't evil. They weren't going against the word of God. None of that. That was the corruption that the churches tried to take and pin on you so that you would not remember that you did that. And you're thinking of that as evil. So keep it away from me. I'm not part of that. I must have been tricked by the devil. I'm not part of that. You would rather believe that there is a devil that tricked you than to believe you did this to yourself. That's part of what they're doing to you. Because if you believe you did this to yourself, that empowers you. That's why they changed all those words, as above, so below, instead of as below, so above, the way it's supposed to be said. As without, so within, wrongfully so, as within, so without, like it's supposed to be. Up is down, down is up. Back is white, right? Black is white, back is front. That's what they did. They took the cross, turned it upside down. They took the star, turned it upside down. They took every holy symbol, and they're trying to corrupt it and make you think it's evil and bad by turning it upside down. The opposite. Do you understand? So all the knowledge of who you are has to be the, the, the Jedi mind trick. It has to be the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, the, the end around. So you have to run from it. Don't believe you have ESP abilities. That's the devil. Don't believe that angels exist. Those are UFOs. Those are the devil. There is no one talking to you. There is no one other than you. There's, you're just a, a human. Right? And then they corrupt the, the well, well, you're, you're free. No, you're not. Well, we know that we're free. We, well, how do you know that? Because we you sense that. No, you're, you're not free. You're in a prison. You're in a prison. They can Jedi mind trick you. Do you understand? That's what they've done here. And we're allowing it. We're allowing ourselves to do it to ourselves. Right? And so that's over already. That's what we're, we're all trying to tell you. That's all been already done. We did it for you. Okay? Everybody that, that has worked towards the undoing, right, and including Jesus, the last, the last name of, the, of, all of, the, of all the Savior characters, came down here to show us this is the way. This is how you get unstuck. Over and over and over and over in every doctrine you could possibly read from any religion ever out of all the religions that we still have memory of and knowledge written down on this planet telling you the same story. And all of those stories are telling you about the Savior coming and showing you the way. And telling you, the way to heaven is through me. All you have to do is follow. And this character had names like Marduk, Thor, 
right? Ra, many other people, David, Elijah, Muhammad, was the same soul. Same soul in a different body because he had to. If the same soul showed up and used the same name by three or four or five times, evil's going to recognize it's the same person and get to him when he's a boy and kill him off. I would. That's what I would do to shut him up. There he is again. Get him. But if you don't know who you're looking for, when you're looking for, how you're looking for, and what the person's name is, it's a needle in a haystack. Again, getting the message out to the masses in a way that they couldn't see. Fight the enemy where they're not. Do you understand that? That's the art of war. And it's quite possible that he wrote that book himself. And maybe it's even more possible that some of these people who wrote these philosophical thoughts were, in fact, an incarnation of the one as well. Well, in truth, we all are. So for something like that to be really crazy, like when they both smelted steel the right way at the same time, one, one guy in Kentucky and one guy in England, and they're saying, well, it was the same soul. Telephones, telegraph, most of the stuff that has been invented has a dual or a tri invention, meaning, right? Tertiary, three. So how is that possible? Well, it's because it was done by plan. It was done on purpose that way. Why? To make sure that it's stuck. My sister asked me, why did Jesus die on the cross? And I said, so that you would understand that what he was saying meant some shit. Right? So that you actually got what he was saying was he was so serious about it that he died for it. He was so he real I will die to show you that what I'm saying is true. Because I know it is. And that character did that 12 times, 11 other times besides the last one on this earth. Same soul. I submit that to you. Have a good night. I'll see you guys on Wednesday for Skull Island, and then I'll be back Friday with something new to talk about. We'll figure that out between now and then. We've got a bunch of stuff to run after, so we'll figure it out. Have a great night. Namaste.